Welcome to the Tournament Poker Edge podcast, brought to you by TournamentPokerEdge.com, the only podcast dedicated exclusively to tournament poker strategy. And now, here are your hosts, Ron Fezbuddy and Killing Bird. Hey everybody, welcome to the Tournament Poker Edge podcast. Killing Bird here with my co-host Ron Fezbuddy. Hello, sir. Good evening. Good evening, <laughs> sir. Speaking uh, with you on this fine late. Well, I don't even know. I slowly screwed that up. <laughs> I don't even know what season we're in. I was going to say early summer, but it's summer day, spring day, fall day. <laughs> they others all run together now, anyway. Uh, so uh, people will be happy because uh, we actually got a podcast out in a fairly decent amount of time yeah. uh, from the previous one. So um, you're, all, you're welcome, everybody, which we do what we can do. Um, this guy thinks everyone's waiting to hear him talk. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, poker, what's been going on? Uh, I don't know. What have you been up to? Hardly playing at all, actually. <laughs> um, since we got back, or since I got back from the circuit event at Cherokee, I think I've played one Sunday and then maybe one other random night of poker. Um, but I played this past Sunday and bubbled the 55 and the 22, which were the two big, uh, biggest tournaments I played. So it was a pretty uneventful Sunday. But it's, I've just been so busy, and I, it's kind of like I just feel like I'm in WSOP prep yeah, mode for yeah, me kind of for TPE really. You know, between trying to get ready, you know, mentally and physically and all that stuff, but also just like, you know, booking flights and booking houses and planning TPE stuff, it's kind of busy. So I don't think I'm going to put in too much volume now, but between now and whatever, three weeks before we go to Vegas. Yeah, I haven't either, except I love the 10K nightly on the winning poker network. I play on Black Chip. It's a $25 buy-in, and it's unlimited re-entries, you know, for the first two hours. Um so it, it's I don't know it, and and I love that tournament and I, I I crush it so I played it like three times in the last two weeks and I final tabled it twice um, nice. and I made it deeper in the other time and I'm I'm actually playing it right now if I'm being honest. <laughs> <Everybody>. <laughs> well, let us know if anything interesting yeah. comes up. <laughs> yeah, uh. yeah, um, yeah. So I but I've been doing what I'm always doing, playing to play better so usually i'm not doing a podcast during it so i'm usually paying attention to the one table <laughs> uh, right. um or you know sometimes i'm i i you know hang out watch tv with my wife play this one tournament and if it gets deep and interesting i go upstairs and you know get quiet but um but yeah poker wise been a little less active lately um and really like you said been in wsop mode um really looking forward to the series i kind of made my schedule um, book yeah, what do you got? Flights. What do you got planned on that front um, in terms of schedule? So I'm going to be out there for the first weekend. Um, it is the best weekend for a sort of you know lower stakes player. Although you know if you're playing a couple thousand dollar or fifteen hundred dollar tournaments, not necessarily low stakes. But um, right. for a regular you know non super big baller, um, there's a Thursday one k reentry. Which means, but not unlimited. You 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 know, there's like a, a flight A and a flight B, uh, an 11 a.m. start and a 5 p.m. start. So if you bust yeah. out, you can re-enter that for 1k each. Um, 
There's a 1500 six max on on Friday. There's a $1,500 millionaire maker um, re-entry on Saturday. First place is guaranteed to be a million dollars. And then there's a 1K on Sunday. So it's a great four days in a row for, you know, anyone who's near casual or lower stakes. Um, yeah, yeah, that's going to be an awesome weekend. I'm very bummed that I won't be out yeah. quite yet. Yeah, it sucks that you're not going to be there for that. But I'll, I'll be there. A lot of, t- you know, the rest of the TP crew will be out there. Um and so I'm really looking forward to that. I'm uh, I'm in I'm in training mode. I've been watching a lot of videos. Been trying to you know play thoughtfully. You know, just thinking a lot about poker. Um, I gotta tell you, I'm rewatching uh, Andrew Brokus' series again. I just I get the most out of his right now. I'm loving his his uh, yeah, he's, his he's great theory. Um, yeah, I, I I'm rewatching the um, this first series. What was what was it called? The first series it was hand reading. I forget what he what he called it. Um, it was about hand reading. Uh, yeah, I forget what we actually called it. I don't remember. Um, yeah, let me look. Value targeting was it just called value targeting? I don't know. No, no, value targeting was the second. Well, let's. Oh, you're right. Yeah. Let's yeah, go yeah. to the internet and see what happens. <laughs> let's go to the interwebs. <laughs> it reminds me. I uh, I remember like in 1997 or 1998, I ran into a, a, a childhood friend's father, and. Uh, I asked him, you know, hey, how's 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 I forget, it was Mike, how's Mike doing? And uh, and you know, we were just kind of out of college at that point. I guess it was like '99 or something, '99 and 2000. Yeah, it's around that time. You know, we were just out of college. Um, and and I, Mike wasn't with him, but it was his father. And so I said, how's Mike doing? You know, and his father was so proud of him. He was like, uh, oh, Mike is fantastic. Spoke this way. This is the way the guy spoke. Mike is fantastic. He's doing phenomenal. His job is good. He's got an apartment. He's got. <laughs> he goes. He's got. His job is good. He's got a great apartment. He's got an internet. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, that's great. Whoa, he's got an internet. Well, wow. uh, so I thought that was funny. But you know, like. You know, on on the other side of things, like my dad, for the longest time, still has no idea what I do, and um, he tells people I'm a computer producer. So, <laughs> so and I can't make fun of Mike's dad too much. Um, somebody's got to produce the computers. Yes, yeah, somebody's got to produce the computers. And, and what's what's a, what's a really annoying about that is that you know maybe I would go around talking about that to my my cousins and uncles and all that stuff, and like you know in the 90s and even to this day, I still get phone calls about like computer problems like how to fix things like i'm not a oh, right. hardware guy at all right yeah but, you know they just all think that that's what i do um anyway all right so uh <laughs> back to i don't know how we got on that but <laughs> me neither back to the point um it, hand reading uh andrew brokus's hand reading yeah. uh series is his first one so i'm starting with that um i love the way he teaches you to think about your opponent's uh ranges um an easy kind of shortcut way to classify what kind of hands your opponent has monsters showdown value draws um and then um you know think about what what he would be doing with each each of those categories and it really you know you don't have to figure out a guy has jacks you just need to know does he have a hand he wants to show down with or does he have you know does he have the nuts right and so uh so so uh, yeah been been prepping for that for that and i'll be going out that first weekend um, I'll be going home, uh, you know, long weekend, four or five days, um, hopefully longer uh, with a final table, in, right? Um, and then I'll be going back again uh, in mid-June um, 
I think uh, the week of the 20, 17th, um, I'm probably going to come out either Wednesday night and play a 1500 shootout, 1100 Venetian, and 1500 Saturday, or I'll come out Thursday night and play that um, that Venetian, uh, and then a 1500 and a 1K at the WSOP. So three days there. Um, so you know, seven, you know, potentially seven tournaments. It's not you know, it's not out there for a whole summer like you know pros, but pretty happy with that much uh, that much volume. Hopefully, I make a deep run in something. Goodbye. Yeah, what's your plan? Um, well, I'm getting out a little bit later than you. I got a bunch of stuff going on at home this year for some reason, right at the beginning of the series, uh, including my anniversary, my dad's birthday, a couple other things. So I'm going to miss the first few days when you're out there, but I get out there on the third and then I'm pretty much playing, um, pretty close to every day, starting the day after I get out there all the way through to when I leave. So I think it's like 13 or 14 Venetian events. Uh, and I decided just to focus on those this year because I've traditionally done fairly okay in them and... Uh, and I like the structures, I like the room, I, I like everything about those Venetian events. So um, I'm just going to, yeah, I'm going to grind tons and tons of those. And they have all these great events to start, you know, if, you're, if you should bust the, well, first of all, they have re-entries. And then if you bust and bust again, you can play like the 250 bounties, right. and then there's like a 7 p.m. tournament. Um, so there's lots of opportunities to just kind of keep your grind on you know, without ever having to leave the building. So that's kind of my plan. I'm going to live at the Venetian, basically. Yeah, so great. Really, really great tournaments. Um, yeah, are you going to try to play any WSOP? Mm-hmm. I might uh, I might play one right at the very end. Basically, depending on how the summer goes, there's... Uh, I left kind of like a three-day open period at the end of my summer in Vegas, uh, and there's a 1,500 no limit that weekend. So if the rest of the summer goes okay or really really good right. um, i might jump in that okay. just before i head that, out when did you say you're leaving uh i'm leaving on the, i believe it's the 29th oh, of june okay. to, to head home and then again i mean if i have some sick summer might go back for the main event but uh, it's probably not going to happen so we'll see you should play that 1522nd when i'm there if you're going to play one play it when i'm there yeah that might be an option too yeah yeah. yeah, we'll see how it shakes out. Yeah, and I'm skipping the main this year. Um, <laughs> my wife's birthday is always in the middle of the main event, so I have to be very careful. Um, <laughs> and she's cool. I played three main events, so it's not like she's uh, difficult. But, um, you know, it obviously costs a lot of money, <laughs> um, even yeah. though I, I obviously don't. You know, it's a lot of money you put up. I, I, I get backing for it. But, um, but you know, it's it's uh, it doesn't make sense to play it every year, so I you know, maybe take every other year or, or if that, um, so I'm going to skip right. it this year and, you know, who knows if I, uh, if I make a run in something, one of these earlier ones, maybe I'll come back for it. Like you said, um, yeah. that would be understandable. If I, if I final table something and make some cash, um, it's a lot easier to say, Hey, well, let's go to, you know, let's go for this or I'll go for yeah. this. You know, I think it's kind of a good way to approach some of those events. If you're working on, you know, not the hugest bankroll because it, you know, I'll, the whole summer in Vegas is a long time to go before then jumping into a ten thousand yeah. dollar tournament, which is the biggest of the year. You know, like if you're just like burnt out and you've bricked everything, yeah. and you know you're hating life and you're sick of Vegas, maybe it's not the best thing to go play a ten k yeah. tournament. You know, you know it really is. It's like it's it comes like at the end of the whole thing. People got to be fatigued. Although I guess the main event itself just energizes people the hell out of people. Yeah, and and I think that probably is true. But I think it's going to I take just, some time off there and, you know, and kind of just, you know, give yourself some space so that you can get like live poker. It's it's hilarious. Like you we're talking about it now nearly a month before we get get out there. Um, 
and we're excited about it. And you know, you get your spreadsheets and you're figuring out what you can do, and you think about like, you know, you think about making a deep run, and you're just really excited to go out there. And then like the first day. You, you're done. <laughs> right. First day of live, you're just like, ugh. <laughs> yeah. You walk in, you you get like two out on the river, yeah. like three hours into the tournament, you're just like, I hate. Or you play like eight so hours. Much. And my my WSOP experience has been several near caches, which is really frustrating. Yeah. You know, so you bust at twelve thirty, uh, right? AM, uh, you don't make the day two. You just missed the money. And that's your first day, and you're just blech, you're done. Yeah, you're done with live poker. You're like, oh, I remember why I don't. I like online so much better. <laughs> yeah, I do remember suddenly that the times that that, you, that you've come out and played in Vegas, you've always come home really late, and, and you're always really bummed out. <laughs> you're, you're never in a good mood. Like you know, we've all busted out at like three, and we're back at the house barbecuing and in a pool, and we're sweating you, and then you just roll in at like one in the morning, like fuck. Yeah. <laughs> Really annoying, man. <laughs> well, you know, I just, uh, it's just a prelude, man. There you go. We're in the optimistic, yeah. positive phase. We're going to do it. Um, check in with me the, you know, while I'm there and see if that attitude is completely flipped. Yeah. Um, but no, it, you know, that's why I think it's good to take like, a break. Because I'll tell you, like, I'll, I'll, I'll come out for this first, uh, this first stretch, and if I don't cash in anything, I will go home like five days of not, you know, not cashing. I'll be you know, done and needing a break. I will. Everyone needs a Five, you know, when you go five days without cashing, it kind of sucks. Yeah. Um, yeah. But I guarantee you, by the time the second trip comes around, like I'll be over it for a week and not even play like uh, online probably for a week, and then I will be ready to to go back out there right away. Right. You know, and that that'll yeah. be great for the uh, the return trip. Yep. Cool. And uh, yeah, so uh, we're gonna uh, we're gonna bring Mike Sowers in a little bit, talk a little bit of a little bit of strategy. So very excited about having him on the team. His first video seems to be. Uh, Really popular so far, so that's always fun. Yep, great reviews. Um, really uh, smart guy. Um, really interesting uh, way of approaching the game. I, I enjoy talking yeah. to him. Uh, he's he's just a he, you know he's a, he's a, he's an individual. <laughs> he's got yes. He's definitely got um, you know some interesting viewpoints. So uh, yeah, definitely let's uh, let's get yeah. in here. Yeah, enough about us. So we'll uh, we'll take a quick little break, and then we'll uh, we'll come back. We'll bring Mike Sowers in, talk a little strategy, and uh, yeah, stay tuned. We'll be back. If you are looking for the best MTG training site on the planet, look no further than TournamentPokerEdge.com. Tournament Poker Edge focuses exclusively on multi-table tournaments and features some of the best live and online pros. No waiting through cash game videos looking for the occasional tournament video. Tournament Poker Edge also offers strategy articles, forums, a member chat room, and much more. So visit TournamentPokerEdge.com and start taking your game to the next level now. Everybody, welcome back to the Tournament Poker Edge podcast. Time to bring in tonight's guest pro to uh, talk a little 
strategy, and we'll talk to him a little bit about how he got into poker and all that fun stuff as well. The newest addition to the TPE roster, Mike Sowers. How are you, sir? I'm doing well. How are you guys? Good. Great. Hey, Mike. Welcome welcome to the podcast. It's, uh, it's really fun to have you on here. Um, great series so far. Really, really uh, enjoying the, the video so far. I think uh, when we're recording this, we're up to part three, and really excited to, to what, see, how, see how people react to the next three parts, because for those of you who don't know, the series that Mike has going, it's a 1K multi-entry that he made the final table with two entries in, and he took a really interesting approach to the, uh, to the tournament itself. Um, he decided to play, uh, what, no, no calls pre-flop, mostly three bets? Is that, is that yeah. what he decided? <laughs> yeah, basically, like, uh, and, and it spawned as just like an evolving poker player because of uh, PCA. The way I played was a little more passive pre-flop, and I had noticed that a lot more of the people uh, were just being really aggressive pre-flop, and I was like, well, yeah. I've never done it, so let me just try it and force myself to do it 100%. Right, and so I'd been doing noticed, that through the whole whenever they had started the multi-entry thing too. So it yeah. had been a little I, ongoing process. I noticed. Uh, I think I saw a comment early on 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 your first video, and somebody had said some, you know, had made a comment along the lines of, "Oh, but don't you think there's some times where you're supposed to call?" And I I think people thought that when you when you said you were doing this sort of experiment that you were advocating that you should always three bet, never call, but. Am I wrong in saying that you were just kind of trying that out, right? Like it was just for kind sure. Of a, you know, yeah, I was just forcing myself. I say that you should never do one thing all the time, or even think that you should do one thing. I think that you should be able to do anything, yeah. and expand your range to where it is truly random a lot of times. And I think right. that's what's so fun about looking to the next series is you see. I get a little more random, and I think that that's crazy whenever you can see two tournaments I played on the same night, yeah. and I might have played one tight passive and another like just super nutty, you know? <laughs> well, I, I really enjoy this series because it, you know, it's obvious you're a thinking player. Um, you're, you're watching everything that's happening at the table, and I think table dynamics probably plays a lot um, into how you play the game and, and how you, you know, what your decision, uh, main decision factors are. Would you say that's true? Yeah, I'd say that's definitely the evolving factor as I've grown as a person, too, is just uh, being aware of everything that's going on around me and then also being aware of how that's affecting me and my decisions. I think that that's uh, something that a lot of people don't even look at. They don't look at, you know, what's happening inside of them to actually force them one way or another, you know? Hmm. Hmm. That's interesting. So, so you... You think that the your own personal decisions are are something that you need to monitor, like just the way you're yeah. the way you're being impacted by the external stimulus. You need to monitor um, to see how it's affecting you know how, what decisions you're making and and maybe sure. tells you're giving yeah. off. Yeah. yeah, because literally, I mean, it's like anything else. If you're competing against other people, then just knowing what they're doing, you know, that's good and all, but you're really competing against yourself. So it's really like, what am I doing? What can I get better at? And really analyzing. I mean, part of my mindset has been overly critical of myself, you know, like constantly saying, I need to improve, I need to get better, or what can I do to get better? Basically, like nothing is satisfying. And I think that um, translates into just you looking inside yourself and figuring out, you know, 
really what you should be doing or based on everything you know, all the information you have, you know, why don't you try something else, you know, just to get a different perspective sometimes. Yeah, this might be hard to answer, but how do you determine what it is that you need to be working on? Because I think a lot of people feel I need to get better at poker. I need to put more more time into my game. And then they go and they just, you know, they'll either watch uh, training videos or they'll just pick you know, up a book. But how do you know what you need? You know, how do you, uh, you know? It's just like life, though. You know everything you need to do in life to <laughs> be happy or whatever. And I think the same is true in poker. And a lot of times you listen to a poker hand and someone's like, I raised queens, and this guy re-raised me. What should I do? And that's the information they give you. Right. So if you look right. at poker like that, I think that poker is so complex that everything you do will make you a better poker player. Right. So anything you can do to alleviate a lot of the mind chatter you have going on um, and just allow you to focus and be present at the table, that's where you do your learning. You, all your creative inside you as a person – comes from an area of like no thought where something spontaneous and new comes about and that spontaneous stuff is really what's like making you evolve as a player and us as people so that's all you have to do is cultivate that and just be totally aware of everything that's going on right now you know so in front when, of you. when like you if were that's if you're live and if you're online yeah. sometimes i would suggest just playing two tables yeah. and just just really focusing you know that, uh, that you, you basically that's exactly what I was going to ask you. So when you know prior to Black Friday when you were you were playing a, a lot online, were you multi-tabling a ton of, of tables or were you? Of course, yeah, yeah for sure. <laughs> I think that like once you reach certain level, you can definitely add more tables. You know, but especially in the beginning stages, even like you should I always made it a point to do it like once a week where I would just play a one thousand dollar tournament and just focus on that yeah, tournament. Right, and and. During this tournament, the same thing occurred. Like, I'd played in a high roller all day for, like, 13 hours. I'd played really amazing, and I was just, like, had an endurance level, like, infinite. And so I went out that night. It was in uh, Vienna, and I just went around, and there was nothing going on. So I came back, and I just played this tournament, and I had six tables up to begin with. Right. But it got all my attention, you right. know? Right. Right. It's okay. Well, you know, let's rewind a little bit because um, oh, let's talk about – how, how you got to to that mind state and, and it's really how you started because uh, for those of you who don't know Mike's history he's got a long series of of, of big caches uh, live and online um, millions of dollars in earnings uh, final tables uh, in major major live events um, you won I believe was was your first big win of the Borgata Winter Open the WPT was that yeah, the first big thousand eight yeah and that was yeah. just like crazy. I mean, that was just insane. <laughs> now, were you grinding a lot online before that, or like, what was your? Yeah, what, I did, mean, how did you get literally, into? Literally, I was 19 mm -hmm. in college, uh, and that's when I actually decided to drop out. But I had played since my senior year, and I was just always really obsessive about competition. And I used to play online computer games, mm -hmm. so I always did that. And I just transitioned from playing computer games to playing poker. Right. And so I was studying psychology, and then I switched to business. But during both of uh, all my classes, I was basically reading poker books. I was thinking about poker. I was literally always – I mean, it was just one thought, basically. Did, did you – So yeah. that just drove me. Did you – as a kid, did you play card games? Like what, what – is it, is it the, the computer game 
aspect of it that that you transitioned you into poker or was gaming itself like was, was like strategic games would attract yeah, I think you? it was just yeah it was all mental um you know olympics basically you know right, right. It's just uh i guess competing intelligence that's what i like i like seeing if i'm smarter than you basically right. you know <laughs> i mean right. these games are just a conduit to stroke our egos to say who's right. better than who right Right, yeah, especially with the the online massive, you know, multiplayer games and and extending that to to the poker tournaments. So then, yeah, you that went- was always a real time strategy. So it was always I felt like it it propelled me to poker so easy because I had already played high stakes computer game tournaments. Like I came out to California when I was sixteen, ah. just because I was really good at this. It was called Age of Mythology. Mm-hmm. So you just have this civilization. You start with nothing, and you build your economy and military and attack each other. Right. So you're constantly huh. doing multitasking while improving your hand-eye coordination and your intelligence thinking on the go, you know, just innovative, coming up with whatever to beat them. You know, it was a very complex game. And for as far as poker goes, did you – like you had to learn the rules of poker, or, or did you know – like, how much poker did you know? Well, I, I, to it? it was like everyone else. It was yeah. 2004 was my graduation oh, okay. year That's in high school. Yep. Watch rounders, me and my buddy, like tennis bud, like my best friend, basically. And we would uh, play these little sit-and-goes, like with all our friends, like 10-man sit-and-goes. And we just watched <laughs> it, and we were in, like, drama, so we reenacted the worm, whatever. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. But, uh... We were just characters, you know, and I just was really obsessive, like I was about anything. Right. And I was like, I'm going to freaking do this, you know. So 2004, um, you have instant success or does it take a little while? Like, what, Well, it, I had instant success in my group of friends right yeah. away. Like I just, <laughs> I beat, You're, it was crazy. Crush, yeah. Crushing the $5 sit and go. Yeah, with the your, $10 sit and goes. And it was just like, oh yeah, I'm the man. Like this is yeah, too yeah. This is like taking money. Let's play for $20. Guys. Yeah, 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 yeah. You know? And then, oh, but once I got into, um, so then I went to college and he had, actually was my roommate in college too. Uh, but I played really high stakes and way out of my bankroll. Like my freshman year, I turned literally like $50 into $30,000 my freshman year. All tournaments or second semester. No, I was playing high stakes limit games on absolute poker. Right. And I was playing against like Mark safe every night. Like I literally went up like one, two, two, four, three, six. And I remember like my first nights playing like 10, 20 limit. Yeah. And I was so obsessed though. Like I literally ate fast food like twice a day and played for 16 hours, you know, (laughs) like I would skip classes on the regular. Right. It was just like your standard, you know, what you think of a poker player uh, in college would be. And so even at night, I remember nights where like I would lose half my role and just lay in bed, like just, in pain, you yeah. know, physical pain in my body and anxiety and just like seeing the sun come out. <laughs> yeah. Like, well, I guess I got to start grinding again because I don't want to go to class. Right. Did, did you ever go busto in those times? Or was yeah, it, so, yeah. So, yeah. so like I'm, I'm high roller, you know, I'm making money. Like I got good money. I got checks coming in, you know, and my mom made me work for everything since I was like 15. So uh, she was going to pay for college. And so I told her about like, once I made this money, I was like, mom, don't worry about paying for college anymore i got this <laughs> and then uh by the end of the summer i was dead broke and yeah. i had bought a new forerunner with some of my winnings and i sold my old car 
And as soon as I sold my old car, I was like, sweet, I'm going to make some money again. And I just lost all that. And I had no concept of bankroll management, you know, any idea on how to actually manage the money if you want to succeed and make it sustainable. Right. And so I was just kind of, you know, a lost puppy at that point. I, I kind of cried home to my mom. And she was like, well, you're still paying for college. You better get some loans or whatever. <laughs> At least she held you and, and she was like, you cannot play anymore. Like, oh, really? Yeah, like this is done. You know, my mom was like into real estate and she didn't believe, you know, everyone thought poker was gambling, you know, yeah, and yeah. her dad played, you know, and he was a gambler. So it kind of after about a year, I was it was literally about a year to go and broke. I just took a year off and I just worked at my local apartments at college and I probably spent more time actually in class doing stuff. And, uh, but after that year went by, I was working at U-Haul, like getting up, going U-Haul at five thirty in the morning, yep. like downtown Charlotte, basically. Uh, that's where I went to college, UNC Charlotte. Mm-hmm. And I don't know, I was just grinding like real life. And then I was like sick of it. You know, I was like, I could make, you know, money playing poker. All I have to do is be really smart. And so then I just created a bankroll manager thing, and I started investing a little of my work money, and then it just blew up. After I had a plan and after I had an Excel sheet, and I just started actually writing down every tournament I played, and just I kept up. You know, I would never play more than one hundredth of my bankroll in a multi-tournament, and if I was playing sit-and-goes, you know, I wouldn't really play more than like one-fiftieth or one-fortieth, and I grinded sit-and-goes a lot, like. I feel like sit and goes are really good if you want to be a winning tournament player eventually yeah. because they teach you a lot about stack sizes, especially once you start getting down, you know, to the winning money, you know. Right. So eventually right. you don't really want to look at how much the winning money is. The theory behind it all is still relatively the same. And did you find any poker communities, a two plus two or pocket fives? Did you join any of those or yeah, have I was any pocket friends? fives. And yeah. then, you know, after that year, then I started blowing up and. I started actually meeting people and traveling, mm-hmm. and then, you know, it was just, I mean, here I am. It's, yeah. Well, well, take us to that first, that that WPT win. Like, like, Let me take that... you to my first live thing yeah. first, because it's kind of <laughs> symbolic, because uh, I went over to my buddies over Christmas. I wasn't, I couldn't even tell my parents that I was playing. I had about, like, $3,000, and I just went over there to grind on, like, a Saturday or a Sunday, and I ended up winning, like, I don't know, $7,000. Mm-hmm. And at this point, I'm already putting it in my head, like, I'm going to go pro. And I'm going to get, like, enough money to where my parents can't tell me no because right. I'm already paying for anything anyway. So sure. it doesn't even matter, you know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so then my first uh, – I win my first package to play an, a live tournament, and it's in London. Mm-hmm. And it's the very first WSOP Europe. And so I had already told my mom by this point you know, that I was playing again, and she was kind of still weary, but my dad kind of, like, trusted me. He knew I'd do all right, but so my first, I win uh, satellite to go to that tournament, and I just took my mom, you know, mm-hmm. and she just was, like, so mesmerized, kind of, <laughs> and then ever since then, and, and ever since she made me buy real estate, once I did that, she's kind of like, all right, my son can do whatever he wants. Nice. Yeah, that's pretty cool. And it's good to have that validation from your parents, too. I mean, like, you know, hiding that fact of playing poker from your parents, especially like once you've, uh, you know, done behaviors where you've lost all your money or, you know, whatever is is real tough to sometimes men between. And then some parents just don't even understand it or won't even be open to that mindset. And I feel kind of 
empathetic for the poker players that have to go through that. Yeah, as I'm sure a lot do, um, especially, I mean, you fortunately have had a lot of success, so it's been a lot easier for, for you to, 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 for them to accept it. But um, those who kind of grind, you know, for a year or two and don't, you know, maybe they make some money, but not, not, not huge money. Um, it might be, must be really hard for them to continue to justify why they're doing what they're doing if they haven't had that big score yet. Could be yeah, for sure. Yeah. So, okay, so the, the, um, the, the WPT with the Borgata, um, I mean, that's got, that has to change everything. I'm, I'm assuming, you know, that was a, looks like a $400,000 score. Um, in well, the, oh, no, no. The first, that was Aruba you're talking about, I guess. Uh, the first one, Aruba, was for forty, but the one, uh, the WPT in 2008, yeah, four hundred thousand. Right, right. And that was just amazing. The money, I mean, sure, that was great. That was kind of life changing at the moment, and that actually funded my first real estate adventures. Mm-hmm. But that was uh, just so amazing because uh, the table. I mean, I beat Tom Dwan heads up, and Eric Lingren yeah. was there. It was just a really solid final table, and. Um, I don't know. I kind of proved to myself that I belong, basically. Right. So right. after that, it was like, wow, I'm a cocky kid. And if yeah. you go look at my first WSOP, I final tabled that, and I was so cocky, I just go all in with nine four offsuit. And so it shows you, <laughs> like, you know, you can be on top of the world, and then at the bottom of the world the very yeah. next day. Yeah, I mean, from there, it's it's a series of of a lot of life scores. So did you then, you know, after that, was it a, a balance between live and online? Did you play mostly live? Yeah, it was it was like online was a constant flow of money. Like right. and you, you could you could wager for less, you know, so swings were way less. Once right. you start delving into live poker, it, it just gets overwhelming the amount of money it is a lot of times. Um right. just because I mean it's I mean if you're looking at like me, like the tournaments I would like to play on a schedule of EPT, WPT and WSOP I mean, you're looking at like half a million dollars in buy-in. Right. So right. online, I mean, yeah, it's great to make money, but if you're doing live, it's like you need to choose one, I would say. Uh, but yeah, I always did both. I always right. did both. I never took breaks. Uh, did, I never took a break till basically online went away in America. What, what did you always what did, play? What did you? What did you prefer? Not, not from a swing perspective. Okay, I just... used to prefer online a lot until I was about maybe 23, 24, and I really started to see how big of an edge I had live. Mm-hmm. And then that I liked live a lot more, too, because I actually get to interact with people sometimes if they choose to. Um, right. And then, <laughs> I don't know, I just, I, I think that you get so much more live because, I mean, now you can see a person, you can look, and there's just energy there that lets you know like what's going on, like your intuition based on like what we were talking about earlier with table dynamics, everyone, you know, and then how it comes back to you basically just making decision. I really like that. Yeah. Were there, were there particular people like, you know, especially during that time where you were really playing a lot live in the poker community who you would talk a lot of hands with or, you know, who you would maybe credit with some of what you now know about poker? Well, I think I would, credit what I know mostly about tournaments to like the competitors I've had rather than like people I've talked with. I think that like just the competition makes you better. But right. um yeah, I mean definitely I've got I mean a very awesome group of friends, not only poker players but good people, you know, like I was always traveling with like Isaac Barron and talking hands with David Sands. Um 
even from the very beginning, like Mark Kerm and just, I don't know. I would always, I don't know. I didn't really talk a lot about in depth about poker, really. Like I was more getting their grind and, and let's figure out what, how I'm going to do it, you know, because I think getting other people's perspectives is awesome. And that's really good for like expanding your knowledge. But I think that a lot of your learning really needs to be from yourself, you know. Yeah. But yeah. I, I'll tell you what I did do. I watched a lot of Poker X Factor, like videos just like this, like here at Tournament Poker Edge, where you're just watching someone play and listening to them talk. I did that a lot. Yeah. And I thought that, that was really crucial, you know, just doing that, even if it's of yourself. You know, yeah. even if you're going back, I used to watch my hand histories like crazy. And I really like mm-hmm. watching them. Like, we'll talk about hands later. And if I see it, it's a lot easier, you know, because it's just a different form of learning. So if you can incorporate every form of learning, visual, you know, kinesthetic and even experiential or visual, like, I think that that's going to give you even more depth to the poker hand because everything looks simple, but, you know, everything is extremely complex. Right. Yeah. With this, I'm not sure if you can answer this on, on the fly, but did you ever did, have you ever come across a spot where you realized something that you thought was standard that you'd been doing or that most people think is standard? Really, there's more complexity and more wrinkles to it. And, and you know, if you can't think anything off the top of your head, I know it's a kind of a, a no. I mean, that question. happens all the time. And when it does, you just laugh. You're like, right. wow, like, come on, let's just do something else or let's think about something else. But um I don't know. That's always been one of the things I've always tried to preach to myself. But like, you know, don't be standard. Don't just get locked into your same old, you know, routine, which is what happens with you as a poker player. And if you look at your stats, you can easily tell, you know, what type of level you are, you know? Yeah. Now, yeah, I was going to ask you. So are there any any players out there that you think people are, are underrated that 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 maybe they have a style that that people don't give them credit enough credit for the way they play that but there might be it might be better than people think just you know is there anyone out there that that maybe plays non-standard that is worth looking at a little bit further or or well i mean just like what you were talking about earlier that moment came to me after the pca when i finished fifth i Mm -hmm. think and i just made a bad decision um against chris oliver so it ties right into your next question and my immediate study was Chris Oliver after that tournament, you know? Right. For those who and, don't know, that's that's getting Daisy, right? Yeah, and, Daisy, he, yep. and he just, um, I think that he's been either creative or learned from someone who was creative as far as, you know, re-raising small, betting a third pot, betting a fourth pot. And I've even started to incorporate a lot of that into my game. But more so what I like from him is his heart and his aggression, you know? Right. And that's two of my teaching points you know is heart and aggression and i mean he just shows and it reminds me of me and a lot of other players when we first started and you know we had success is that just pure aggression sometimes wins you know and it and it makes up for a lot of other things and i think that uh i had that aha moment there and then i started realizing how many people were three betting and then it culminated into you know, this full tilt two entry thing, which right. I think is just a great, you know, just something to be observed, you know, look at it. But that's about basically it, though. Don't like overvalue it or undervalue it. I think too often, you know, people see a big name or they see whatever and they see such a small sample size, they see one tournament or whatever, right. 
and they really only see it through their eyes too. You know, I think that's what's cool about the whole commentary thing. Yeah, kind of giving someone else another view. You know, yeah, and it's, it's crazy. Just on uh, on the Chris Oliver thing, I think I don't. I, I'm sure it's, I, I, it'd be hard to find right now, but I remember seeing. I think someone made even like a video. And set to music like a deep run he made in the Sunday Million, where he just did some crazy stuff, and and he ran good, <laughs> admittedly, yeah. but like people were amazed by the way he was playing because it was so aggressive. Yeah, I think so I think like, uh, I mean, it was just outside the box, you know. I think yeah. he was doing things where people just look at, you know. I yeah. mean, it's kind of like that star factor, you know, almost. Right. Right. Or just that crazy wild factor, you know? I mean, you never know. Well, he really completely puts you off your game, right? Because when, he, when he's playing like that, you, you, you're – and he puts fear into people getting into a hand with him because you never know what he's going to have, right? So it's – you know, and, but that's a hard thing to control, that, that aggression, you know, to control it and play it without blowing up. Well, you up. can't control it. See, that's what everyone wants to do, right? Everyone yeah. thinks like, oh, this guy's aggressive. Let me control him. It's really not that. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's really like Bruce Lee, like Water, like – you know, you know, kind of martial arts, just let it come, kind of. It's a, it's a, I think it's almost like fighting in that sense, where if someone's that aggressive, now you've got to be more creative and, right. you know, trap them with that aggression, you know. I think that's what Phil Hellmuth has done better than anyone, is realize that, you know, people will just be aggressive if you just play passive and trap people. And that's literally how he's won live for years, yeah. you know. Right. Mm. So, so like those different styles and seeing how they both can be successful, I think shows that it's so complex. You can't just say be aggressive or you can't just say be passive. You yeah. just really need to make the right decisions in the right time and be able to do all of it so that it's kind of like an art form where when someone's right. really aggressive, you can trap them with passivity. You right. Know? Right. And, and if someone's going to be passive, then you can be aggressive up to a point, you know? And take advantage of that. Uh, such a such a complex and beautiful game. That's <laughs> why it's so much fun to talk about it. And, it can be, but it yeah. can be really simple too. You know, I right. mean, you could just win every flip and win the tournament. You know, yeah. <laughs> I, I think I've done that before. <laughs> yeah, I think uh, we're witnessing that, guys, on this two entry tournament. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> so. you won a lot of flips on that. One. <laughs> yeah, I mean, every but that's the thing though. It's like every tournament that you win or do well in that's going to happen, you know? Yeah. Well, I think there were a couple spots where you got it. Like, I think there were one or two spots where you, where you got it in three ways and like held. And that was just like tremendous. Like, yeah. And I think a couple of them were like dream scenarios. Yeah. They were like, you know, like I have the better of the flip or I have ace king against two under pairs, you know? Yeah. 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 But then, you know, you have to be able to that, but the thing is that happens to everyone. If you play enough, and you grind enough, that's going to happen to everyone. It's then what do you do with that stack, and how do you how do you then take advantage of it, which is where the skill comes through, and and you know, be able to put people in tough spots and be able to win pots that other people wouldn't have won, and just be able to close. It's a mentality, you know. It's like I'm going to win this tournament. That's right. literally what it is. It's a belief, like you know, and you manifest that. I really think you do, but it starts with your being, your hard work, you know. Yeah. Not only working on poker, but working on yourself, you know, making sure that you're eating right, that you're working out, that, you know, your body's hormones are and your, you know, nervous system is calm. You know, poker can drive you insane, you know, with anxiety and stuff. And I haven't even been playing a lot lately. Yeah. And so I've really 
saw the difference in just my biology as a human being. Well, you know, that actually brings us perfectly to what I wanted to ask you next. So let's talk about Black Friday and post-Black Friday because I think you're doing something really interesting now. Um, I talked to you, you know, I've talked to you a, a bit here since you joined TP. You seem extremely happy and psyched and pumped up about what you're doing. So you want to talk about what happened, you know, Black Friday, how it affected you and, and, and what you did next from there? Yeah, well, Black Friday, I was already out in California, but I moved out here in 2010. Uh, one of my buddies was coaching football out here, and it was just a transitionary time in my life, and I was just like, man, I want to try something new. You know, I'm going to come out there and just learn about coaching football. And that has turned into just a passion for, you know, being a mentor for high school kids, being out there on the field, trying to learn as much about football to help these kids win as possible. And I just really started going into that. And I thought that 2010, I moved out here in October, and I just found that piece where I just got away from poker totally. So that was and I was kind of on a downswing, um, whatever. In 2010, it was a really rough year financially, I would say, just because it was my first losing year I've ever had other than the time I went broke, basically. But that was still a positive year. Right. And so it was just trying, and, and I knew that, I was just kind of chasing as a person, you know, and I just needed to take a step back and kind of regain my focus and my energy. And that's kind of what the coaching allowed me to do was actually have, you know, healthy interactions with the world, you know, right. like I'd been so into poker and just given my whole life to it and traveling that I was just burnt out. I couldn't do it anymore, you know. Right, so you got some balance with uh, another pursuit, but you didn't right. give up. Poker. And then, and then, 2011, right away, you know, I go have success, you know, right. at TA, and then I go do this, you know. Right. And and then Black Friday happens shortly after this tournament, um, and it kind of changed my life because I didn't really want to leave California because I feel like I'm here for a more meaningful uh, resource than money, you know, like right. I've, um, had some struggles as far as, you know, online gives you that constant, uh, just opportunity to make money on a daily basis. Whereas if I'm going to do that from where I live now, I'm going to drive to commerce an hour and a half, right. uh, and play 1020, or I'm gonna, you know, play on Bovada. I don't, I mean, I'm not going to trust my money on any of those sites. So I haven't really played, you know, I played WSOP. I'm not going to miss that. That's just one of my favorite things, but I've started, yeah, just investing more time into coaching and just, I I find it, it's a healthy balance for me though. I think that the transition's not from poker to coaching. I think the transition is to a healthy balance of both for me. And so that's kind of what I'm finding. And I don't know. I'm, yeah, like you said, I'm I'm really happy, and uh, that's all that matters to me right now. You yeah, know? Like, you, you definitely seem had, pumped up. Yeah, I've probably got less financial resources and security than I used to have, but I feel a lot more complete as a person. And I think that's why I was driven to come out here. You know. Yeah, it, 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 I doubt most people. I mean, there's probably a lot of people out there who are like, I want to become a poker pro and grind 16 hours a day and go on tour, and yeah. but. I, but I'm not sure everybody completely understands no. what that exactly means. <laughs> no, they never do. I, I always felt misunderstood because people would always be like, you're so lucky. And I'm like, you don't understand. Like, It's like a passion. It's a commitment. It's like more than you can never say no to it. You yeah. are you're that driven. You know? You'll sacrifice anything for it. You know, I mean, poker, and I think for a lot of men, a lot of athletes, a lot of 
uh, businessmen, you know, their number one dream is their occupation and what they love to do, you know, and that's, mm-hmm. and if you don't love it, I mean, really love it. If you don't love getting kicked in the balls when you have aces and they've got tens and they hit a 10, if you're not loving that right there, you know, yeah, you're not going to be as good, you know, and you really, right. you, and you got to just accept all that and build from it. I think that's the difference between people that say they love poker and people that do love poker is that they always come back stronger from their losses, you know? Right. 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 Yeah. I, I can, I can definitely um, understand that. Uh, recently, I think we talked about this in the last podcast or we, we didn't cover the hand. But we talked about the thinking about the hand um, at the, I played the, the Fox with W at WSOPC, uh, the circuit event, main event in, in April. And, uh, and there was a hand um, that I thought I, that really perplexed me for a little while. And I, I thought I, and, and I came to the conclusion that I, I didn't play it optimally, but I've been thinking about that hand and talking to so many people about it that I'm taking that as a lesson and really trying to get better at that specific situation um, and just understand what I did wrong there. You know yeah. what I mean? It's, it's like okay, it's so, been a month of that. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's what you do, though. Literally, what's so funny is 2011 PCA, I busted out. I instantly went to David Sands' room. Uh-huh. You know, there was a couple people there or whatever, and I just sat and it was so funny. I sat at the end. Him and Erica are on his bed. I'm sitting at the end of their bed on my knees just talking to Dave about the hand and thinking, you know, what what he thinks I should have did or, you know, based on the table, you know, everything. And it was just like instantly that's all I wanted was feedback, you know. And I tried – and, I mean, obviously you need that feedback and you need to be strong enough to accept that feedback yeah. because a lot of people will tell you, you know, or try to give you advice. But if you're going to, you know, be – uh, you can't judge yourself based on that advice, you know, yeah. just because you made a bad decision doesn't yeah. make you a bad poker player and it doesn't make you like a bad person either. You know, you can't right. beat yourself up about it. Just learn from it. Move on. It's in the past. A- absolutely. Um, I went through this professionally also recently where I, I, I went to a, a workshop. You know, I do. I'm a, I work for a software company. I'm in marketing and I went to a positioning workshop, branding and positioning. And I walked out of there realizing that, you know, there were some things that we're doing wrong and it gave me a lot of anxiety because I'm like, you know, we, yeah. we need to fix these things. Like we, we, you know, we have this out there and maybe it doesn't sound right. Maybe it's not right. But yeah. I realized that, that what is making me successful is that I'm recognizing that and I'm addressing the situation. And I've always grown from those anxiety situations. It's telling me that something's wrong and I need to fix it. And that's a growing pain. Yeah, and it's the same thing perfect. with poker, you know? And, and we face that in coaching all the time. It's so crazy. Like, Oh man, just like, we, we're transitioning from what we were last year, which was a yeah. triple option team, uh-huh. and now we're going pistol, which is what all the NFL teams are doing, you know, college teams, and running uh, zone read with our quarterback because we have an athlete. And wow. it's just like the same thing. Last year I was so anxious. I was like, man, yeah. you know, things need to change, you know. And <laughs> But like you're saying, that, you know, just awareness of the fact you should be celebrating even that, you know. And, and no Celebr- one gets it right on the first try. Like you have to understand that. Like it's very rare to be like perfect and right immediately. It, it's right. it's it's taking that that feedback and, and getting better. And it's, it's the same thing with poker. And and what I realized from the hand, basically, without going too deep into it, um, for sake of time, I, I basically took I, I, I in this hand I was you know the aggressor and I, I see bet the flop and then a king came on the turn. And I, I didn't have a king, but I thought that I could take the pot away because I could rep it. 
Yeah. And then after analyzing the hand, you know, I bet – Everyone he, tries to rip the king yeah, on the turn. right. <laughs> right, and, and he shoved on me, and I didn't have anything, so I had to fold it, and it, it crippled my stack pretty much. And yeah. what it? Well, what no, it, no. I think that well, if he's a pretty standard player, I think your representing the king is probably really good. I don't know what the flop was. You know what it was? Is it was uh, it was a it Same was high. a low, yeah. It would be, I had ace eight. I opened in late position. He was to the left, and he was on the button. I was in the cutoff. Um, he called, uh, and then the, the you know the blinds folded. I think I was, we started like twenty four bigs deep. Um, live yeah, tournament, right? The flop was kind of complex. Just three different cards, like, and then the king comes on the turn. I mean, you basically, I don't know though. I guess he's not folding a pair if it's all small cards. That's what it was. It was two four six was the flop, right? So either he has, you know, either he has a pair that's going to be hard for him to fold twenty four bigs deep, um, or he has a set, or yeah. if he's floating. Um, He's probably not. He's probably just folding the ace. Like I don't think he's gonna. I don't think he's gonna float that one. That's the only thing I'm gonna get to fold out. But if he's floating me with a king, then he just hit it, right? So anything he's he's most of the stuff that he's floating, uh, he's probably not floating too much there. I'm thinking he probably has a pair at that point, and he's probably just not gonna give up on it. Yeah, exactly. Right. But but what happened was is the first thing I thought, king, I could rep that, right? Boom, yeah. put some chips in. And then after it all went wrong, and I talked to Derek about this, this is the first person I, I talked to, we you know, realized that there were other factors aside from the fact that I could rep this king that I should have thought of. But I, I, I acted too quickly, and I didn't consider all those. And that's, that's really opened my eyes about taking my time, thinking through all the different things, and not just jumping to the first thing that jumps to mind because of instinct and, and you know, it, at the top layer of cognition. There's other stuff that I need to think through. Anyway, so long story. Everything. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, everything, yeah but, weigh all your options, you know. But, but to your point, I've been thinking about thinking better at the table for a month. So, <laughs> so yeah. that, that's, 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 you know, how, how, how I'm growing, you know, as a player. But anyway. It's a little, little sidetrack there, but to your point of, uh, of getting better. It. yeah, yep. When you get to like big decision-making places, just make sure you take like deep, 10 deep breaths, you know? Right. It's just like, I mean, the deeper you breathe, literally the like more oxygen your brain has, the more, you know, excellent thought. opportunities that you'll get the right, right decision are there, I think. Right. But like, think about it. I see a king. And I'm basically putting chips in the middle like five seconds after because I'm just doing what the first thing that went yeah, to my oh, head. Yeah, so you're saying it was like one of those standard things like we were talking about. Yeah, especially like online maybe at a small – you know, it's just like, oh, okay, I'll put, you know, I'll put this in here. But it, it, was, it, it was a more complex situation, and if I thought it through, I, I think I would have came to a better decision. Yeah, anyway. and also though, you always – and this is, this is what drove me crazy about some people that have taught poker is that – you know, just because you got it wrong there or you got it right there doesn't make it right or wrong. Like, just because right. you did that and it didn't work out doesn't make it right or wrong, you know? But our brains instantly always tells you that if it didn't work out, you made right. the wrong decision and the other decision mm -hmm. is the right decision. Right. So you have to constantly just, like, throw that out, you know? Your brain's right. going to say that every time, you know? If you want to be revisionist history and say that, then, you know, that's too easy. You right, because that's how we're, yeah. we're we're trained, right? Like we take tests, right, and we, and we we get yes or no answers, and and it's either right or wrong. But poker's right. not a not a not a, a a yes or no sport. You know, it's 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 definitely different yeah. grades. Uh, that actually brings us brings me to the next question for you. Then, so are, you talked a little bit about teaching people how to play poker. So why don't we? Why don't you give us an idea of the? You know, I know you're in, you're doing coaching now, and what's that like? Who, you know, what do you? How do you? How do you go about teaching people? How could they get in contact with you? Um, for sure, yeah. I'm actually going to 
be just coaching via Skype or just like we're doing here, the conversation we're having. Basically, um, whatever avenue they want to be taught in, um, learn in, we would basically go through, you know, a getting to know each other conversation, you know, what their goals are in poker, you know, uh, basically what where they're at right now um, and what they're trying to do, what stakes they're playing. Uh, I always felt that the best way to get better is reviewing hand histories, you know. If I could sit here and watch a hand history with you on Skype, I feel like that's a, a real good learning opportunity. Uh, if you have yeah. other ways you'd like to learn, I feel like teaching people just preparation off the felt, keeping like, you know, a schedule, et cetera, like that for the World Series. Like I've gotten better every single year for the World Series, and it's such a long grind that yeah. you have to schedule so much, you know. And I, I approach every tournament I play, every situation I play like that. Um, so that's a big advocate I would talk about. Uh, but mainly, you know, whatever they want to work on, whatever they want to get better on, if they just want to ask questions, um, it's I think it's a pretty simple process once you just talk to people. I think every situation's different. I would definitely fly anywhere in the world to teach someone one on one. Um that'd be a little different. But just for like Skype sessions on the phone, um I'd prefer Skype just because it's easier and you could work with stuff online. Um and the first orientation, fifteen, twenty minutes, that's always free. We can always do that for anyone who's even interested. Uh, just to get an idea of, of how everything works. Cool, Mike. And what's the best uh, address for somebody to contact you at if they want to if they want to hit you up about coaching? Yeah, if they want to hit me up, it's just Sowers, which is my last name: S O W E R S U N C C, just like in the videos at yahoo.com. So once again, that's S O W E R S U N C C. So it's just like the University of North Carolina at Charlotte, which is where I went. Cool. Cool. And here's the most important question of the night. How many of your students that you actually coach in football have Googled you and said, uh, oh, my God, <laughs> Coach Mike made $5 million uh, in poker? <laughs> yeah, that's a coach killer right there. <laughs> or a coach builder. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, a while, right. you know. Uh, a lot of these kids didn't really know who I was. I didn't know a lot about football, so I wasn't gaining their respect there. But, yeah, of course, that came out, you know, obviously pretty much everyone knows. So it's just we don't really talk about it, like, you know, but it's just we'll talk, I'll talk to kids about it and kind of, you know, tell them. And they're always like, oh, you're going to be out of town? Are you going to play a tournament? You know? <laughs> like, and, and I think that's a common misconception of bunch yeah. amongst a lot of people, too, is just um, – you know, how how draining playing tournaments and stuff like that can be on your money. I mean, yeah, it, it's crazy. I've been backed and on my own at several different times in my career, and it's tough for a lot of people to make money, you know, even the best yeah. players, basically, you know, especially depending on living circumstance and how you spend your money, you know. Yeah, when you put your schedule together for a series, don't just consider the rake. Make sure you add in hotel and food and a rental car and yeah, you know, tips uh, and everything else. Yeah, yeah, your, really your edge, it. yeah, your edge has to be really big. People go there with like ten thousand dollars. Like, yeah, I got a lot to play poker with. And like two thousand just living. Yeah, cool. Too funny. Cool. Well, should we uh, should we jump into a little bit of strategy? Yeah, I'd love to pick your brain on some of the hands uh, we have for the podcast tonight. Um, we got 
two hands from our forum, and then uh, want to talk to you about one of the hands from your video. Perfect. Cool. All right. So the first hand is um, from the forum. It's uh, it, and we'll put these links in the um, in the notes for the, uh, the podcast. But uh, it's multi-way. It's titled "Multi-Way Spot Deep and Big Big Eleven. Um, and I'm just going to give you the link there so you can look at it. Uh, yourself, if you want to look at it on screen. Um, okay, so I'll read you what uh, what the this is. That is a dick pic. What's that? <laughs> <laughs> oh, right. oh, you must be on our TPO owners meetings. You can never trust the link that gets sent through Skype. You never know it's going to show up. <laughs> no, I am not. I am not sending you that. <laughs> okay, um, so this is from Gareth Chandler. Chandler, who I uh, I think is a pretty regular on the Andrew Brokus's Thinking Poker podcast. I think he he has either Derek is he on that often or is he or does he yeah I think he in? I think he comes on occasionally yeah. and I think he also does some blogging for Poker yeah. Stars. Yeah, that's right, that's right. He's a think, he's definitely a thinking player too. So he, he I would I would say that the, the 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 hero in this hand is is a is a more than an intermediate player. He's a pretty refined player. Um, okay, but anyway, let's get to the the hand itself. Uh. So he says, uh, weak player who opens is playing 2438, um, which is, do you, do you use a HUD? I, I, I don't remember. I've used HUDs in the yeah, past. Okay. So I, I, no I actually used them closer to whenever I did well in this FTP, and I'd started that year, 2011. Okay, okay. Uh, but yeah, 3428 looks really aggressive, right? Or yeah, not? although he says he's running well, but not playing that great. And then he says just doing some passes stuff pre-flop and post-flop. Which doesn't really sync with that. That doesn't make sense yeah, with the numbers. It doesn't make sense. Say he's been really aggressive. Yeah, though, right. Right. That's true. Okay. Um, then also four bet bluffed in a dump spot got shoved on and folded. Uh, the player who calls. So the running well. Okay, this could mean just the numbers based on what he said. It could be that he's had a lot of really good hands, so he's had to play aggressive. But the other hands, he's played passive. So the number might be skewed by the amount of good hands he had, I guess. Right, right. Uh, and it's, 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 yeah, right. And those are making him play yeah. aggressive. But, but okay. he's, and he's just doing some passive stuff pre and post. He's saying, okay. Yeah, but then he says he four bet too. So. Four bet bluffed in a dumb spot. Uh, okay, the player who calls in the cutoff is on tilt. I don't remember why, but he's, he's been playing 66% of hands over the past 12. Um, so he's playing, you know, two-thirds of hands. Yeah. Uh, that's a lot in uh, twelve, and it hasn't been going well. I think he got sucked out on, decided to compound it. Okay, and uh, so he goes. Uh, he goes. I decided to raise fold the flop versus initial raiser. Okay, so let's 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 get there, and then we'll read his analysis of why he yeah. did. It. Um, okay, so the blinds are five thousand, ten thousand, with an ante two fifty. Uh, nine players at the table. Our hero is in the, is on the button um, with sixty four bigs. Um, it's folded to MP1, who is the first villain that we talked about, the the thirty four twenty eight passive player. Um, he, has, <laughs> he has 38 bigs and opens to 20,000, so he just 2Xs it, min-raise. Uh, cutoff calls, and the hero who's in the on the button with queen-jack suited, um, what are you doing here? Straight-up call, you're going to get fancy, make a three-bet, trying the to take... The cutoff, off. the guy who raised has 25 bigs, right? So now he has 23 behind? Uh, the cutoff, yep. uh, the guy who opened has 38. It's the, oh, okay, okay, I'm sorry. The oh, cutoff, so he just called off, okay. The cutoff has 25 bigs and calls. Yeah, so yeah I, mean, I, I mean, calling is perfectly fine here, I think. Uh, I'm questioning a little 
more about the cutoff than I am mid position one. Uh, just the cutoff, just because he's that low. Right. You know? But that's the guy playing 66% of hand, so he's probably just calling everything. Right. So, yeah, I'm probably calling here. Okay. If not, I mean, you can three bet too, because if you, if you raise here pre flop, mid position one with his raise deck probably has to go away or go all in, basically. He's never going to call you a lot. Uh, it really depends on that guy's raise range. If that guy's opening a lot, you would three bet. But if he's not opening a lot, uh, you could just call. But based off the cutoff, knowing that he's going to call 66% of hands, he's never going to call your re-raise probably. Right. You know? That's so, why I asked. That's why so I asked. he's got so much dead money in the pot. A lot of times these are exactly the spots that I was talking about where it's a, it's like sometimes just better just to be aggressive right here. If you can predict pretty favorably that both people are either going to fold or go all in. And if you can predict that, then really you're only worried about mid position one having a good hand. Yep. And, and that's, ba I mean, you, you, you basically explained what I was just kind of feeling <laughs> in my head. I couldn't, I didn't know why, but I was thinking this might be a spot to three bet uh, given, given the fact that you, I feel cutoff always goes away. Just, yeah. He's always going away. And then, you and know, if that guy's, does call now you can pretty much jam on the flop or you have a pretty good hand equity versus right. what you're expecting he's probably going to call with i don't right. know right but it's certainly how much he's steaming but it's certainly fine to just call here yeah so, it's perfectly fine to call right, right so so he does um the small blind folds and then the big blind comes in for ten thousand more and obviously a very big pot so he's got probably a very wide range um and the big blind is sitting on 54 bigs as well so pretty deep stacked here yeah okay um so we get to the flop and there's 96,000 in the flop, um, and everyone except for the cutoff is at least 35 or so bigs deep. So um, we're not we're not all short here. Uh, and the flop is queen of spades, four of hearts, and ten of hearts. Um, so the big blind checks the MP1, who's the original uh, opener, uh, bets 31. 31111, so 31,111, about one third of the pot. Um, and the cutoff calls. Um, so you are the hero. Uh, you've, you hit top pair with a, a, a middle kicker. Um, what are you thinking here? Uh, you got some draws out there. Um, is this a spot where you want to, you know, force some action or you. No. You know, what, what I you mean, think? you really, like, you really don't have much uh, raise value. I yeah. think the only reason you'd be raising is, I mean, you're really not getting called. I wouldn't expect you to get called by anything that you're beating. So right. I would advocate to just call here behind uh, both of them. I wouldn't be worried except for a hard, I guess. I mean, it is a pretty draw-heavy board. You can't expect the initial raiser to bet all of his ace-exes, like ace-jack, ace-king. Right. Uh, but I still, I don't know. Let's see. Yeah, I think that that's the thing that kind of stands out. You're to me. so deep compared yeah. to. Let's see how much is in the pot. Sixty. There's one fifty in the pot now. So yeah. basically, cutoffs committed if you raise. So that's that's actually not bad to raise because he's committed. So mid position one, you probably have him beat anyway. You can protect your hand or you can fold if he re raises you. And the cutoff, you've already distinguished. He's probably going to have like a ten here or second pair or just a draw. You know. Right. So yeah, actually, I like raise. Actually, what what size would you go to here? Raise size? Uh, probably the pot. Uh, let's see. I would make it. Let's see, because mid player one now has three hundred fifty thousand after he bet. Uh, so really, I'd probably get. 
kind of I I like his race actually it's perfect just the min race. Yeah okay so yeah. he makes it seven yeah. seven seven seven. Yeah because um, I mean you almost want the cutoff to call you don't expect the MP one to ever uh, fold and I think he actually says this that yep. he decided to raise fold versus the initial razor and raise fist pump versus the cutoff yeah so. Yep, I liked exactly how he played it so far. Yeah, I think he, yeah, he basically says what you what you said. He doesn't feel like the initial razor is going to go to warp me here four way without ra- without a range I do poorly against, so he can fold there. Um, he feels he's miles ahead of the CO's range. Um, so yeah, okay. Um, let's see. So he asks how horrible is his plan, but we like his plan. Um, Love his plan. Yep. Okay, and then so the big blind folds, the original razor, the MP1 who C bet folds as well, and the cutoff calls. Um, so now we go to the flop with two hundred eighty thousand in the. I'm sorry, we go to the turn with two hundred eighty thousand, two hundred eighty-two thousand in the in the pot. Um, and before we get there, just real yeah. quick to interject, I think by reading this guy's thought process, it could be a real learning opportunity for a lot of people. Because he already had a plan yeah. for what he was going to do based on what they were going to do before the action even came. So just that alone is a good step. You need to be thinking ahead, you know, and you need to have different plans for different people in different stacks. Not everything is the same. And I think so far he's mm-hmm. done a real good job of that, and I wanted to highlight that. Cool. Yep. It, what, what do we put him on when, it, when the cutoff calls? I mean, I, we're, he's tilting, he's playing all these I hands. I guess it's 10. hard to put him on much. Yeah, he, but, he could have yeah. a weak queen. I mean, he could have hearts, but honestly, like, I probably would say he has a 10 a lot of the times, or just a draw. Yeah, I mean, we would think if he has a queen better than ours, he would just get it in here, right? I would think. I mean, if he has king-queen or ace-queen. Yeah. Or, yeah, or queen-ten I mean, for that well, Yeah. I mean, we're seeing a guy also... Like, this is a thing that you can do, too, is you try to rationalize people that are playing irrationally. So, <laughs> yeah, Good point. He's already yeah. said the guy's playing 66% of hands. So whenever I see that type of number and then I see him involved with me in a pot, I'm never really going to give him respect. Like, even right. you, if you continue and talk about the turn, like, I like what uh, it's, it comes to king of hearts on the turn. And so yeah. the guy basically is asking what to do now after the cutoff checks to him, right? Yeah, yeah. and they're going to be, um, let's see, MP1 started the hand with 380,000, so he's pretty much down to 280,000, so it's probably a pot size bet effective stack here. Yeah, um, I mean, the cutoff actually has now 230 minus 70. He's got 160, and there's 280 in the pot. So. Oh, I'm sorry, I was I was looking at the MP1s. Right, oh, so he's le- less than a... Less than a uh, yeah, I mean, the yeah. the guy who he's playing against has yeah. a stack who's two-thirds of the pot, yeah. you know? Um, so, honestly, I'm I'm probably just going to go all in on the turn. I mean, I don't expect him to hit a king, and I don't expect him to have hearts. Uh, we did put that in his range, but we've also said that he's kind of crazy. Um, and considering you might just be protecting your hand against a, a 10 or, you know, like an ace 10 or something that might have mm-hmm. a heart now. I think that once that third heart comes out, you know, you're still protecting yourself against other flush draws that have now came. Even if he has the flush, you're probably going to pay him off anyway. So, right. I think probably, the. It, I think I, I, I agree with you because I think if you check here, all you can do is drive yourself off this hand if a bad uh, river yeah, comes. You know, well, like you, I mean, no matter what, you're not liking any call in the river now, right? You know? 
Right. Right. So you just you're you're opening yourself up to destroying your equity on the river if something bad comes that you may end up folding to. Right. So uh, okay. So you would jam here. And yeah, and that completed Jack Nine too, which is difficult as well. I, I didn't think about that a while ago, but in case he has calling, you know, with Jack Nine, you do have a Jack Blocker though, so it's a little less likely. Yeah, I mean, like I said, like when I see someone playing that amount of hands, he's already diagnosed the guy's probably on tilt. Yeah. Um, let's see if he's talked about. See, he hasn't really said how he's been playing, but if the guy, I mean. If the guy had been bluffing a lot to lose his stack, then there might be more advocacy to just check the turn, you right. know, in case, okay. and just no heart and pray no heart comes and <laughs> let him bluff, you know. Yeah. Um, I take that line a lot. I would take that line here if it was an offsuit king, you know. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that, yeah, that makes sense. Um, okay, yeah, unfortunately we don't get an answer. Maybe we can get Gareth to come back and, and tell us what happened. Um Garrett, if you're out there, buddy, let yeah. us know. We want to know. The suspense is killing us. <laughs> yeah, this hand got a lot of discussion, too. Yeah. And maybe that's why he kind of let it keep going. Yeah, I mean. Because so many people were chiming in, so. Yeah, I don't think you should ever give the answer. <laughs> Honestly, Garrett, I would never give the answer. I always liked when people, like good players, would do this. Everyone would be like, what do you have, what do you have? And it's just like, uh, I'm not going to tell Like, yeah, it doesn't matter. <laughs> yeah. I have one of these five. Some people would do this. I have one of these five hands, you know? And then the fifth option would be, like, I had none of these hands. You know? <laughs> I'm going to start doing that from now on. Yeah, just do that, man. Then you look like a boss. No one ever knows, you know? Mysterious, sometimes it looks better, you know? Like, uh, well, what about, like, people who, like, give fake advice or put post fake hands on forums um, for image, right? Yeah. <laughs> I, why do that when you can just create your own crazy image anyway? You know, <laughs> exactly. create whatever image you guys want to do. You know, like you don't have to fake anything. You right. can just really try it. It's uh, funny. But yeah, I, I thought yeah. about that. But then, like, even I was just—I could never do anything I wasn't passionate about. Even teaching, right. like, I, I was started off doing a video from 2009 just because it was like a win I had. And I was just like, man, I can't even do this. I'm not even passionate about this. So then I decided to do, you know, this 1K reentry, which I was passionate. It still had been in my head. And I feel like there's a lot to learn from it because it's more of the new era of poker compared to the 2009 hand history I was watching. I didn't feel it was very applicable. Right. And so I didn't even want to, you know, give people trash. Like, if I'm going to do this, I want to do it. You right. know, it's, it was also an interesting hand history because there's a lot of bosses on, in that in that tournament, right? I mean, we, we're yeah. going to talk about a, a hand history with Kyle Julius. Um, Jason Kuhn was at your hand was was, was at your table. Um, bus a bus was David Bakes Baker. I'm not sure if you even knew that. Um, oh yeah, I didn't. Yeah, so I mean, there's a lot of interest, you know. And then you know a lot of the regulars as well. So there was a lot of a lot of online. oh wow, that's David Baker. Yeah, it Bakes? is. <laughs> oh yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's Bakes. Um, so there's a lot of there's a lot, a lot of online and live. Bosses, so one and thing, I know right? the guy who got second is someone I know too. I won't reveal him, but cool. Uh, yeah, you guys have to just find out. Uh, it's going to be like that hand history thing. <laughs> it could be <laughs> these five people, or it could be none. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. That's awesome. Cool. Well, let's uh, yeah, but let's jump talking into this about next playing with those oh, guys. Right. Like, I always enjoy it. You know, I think of course you're going to get anxiety. You're going to feel like. And some pots you're going to get outplayed, you know, when you're playing with good players, it's going right. to happen. 
And I think that I enjoy that. I and I think all those guys do too. All the guys you just mentioned. So. Just playing against the best and putting yourself to the yes. test. Yeah. Yeah. And these tournaments are exactly that. You know, yeah. the highest stakes you can go, the most meaningful in our world. You know, mm. like yep. this is your. There probably weren't a lot time. of soft spots. I mean, in a in a one k multi entry, there's probably not a ton of soft spots, regardless. Yeah, I mean, there was twenty four hundred entries and. It was cool to actually go through the list and see who entered six times and who didn't, you know. Mm-hmm. And and just knowing everything that went on, the multi-entries, man, they rocked the poker economy, both oh. hacking and players. Like, oh, yeah. Um, oh, yeah. Full tilt, I don't know if, you know, if it was a money grab. I suspect it was, but they did a, a good job, you know, getting like <laughs> Yeah. I remember like, thinking, wow, this is... I'm like, this is terrible for the poker economy, but damn, it's fun. Yeah, Res me up. wasn't it? It's like, yeah, I can play six tournaments. Yeah, all right, cool. Honestly, I think it's the worst thing for the poker economy possible, aside from Black Friday and full tilt going down. Um, yeah. Well, the thing is, is the that like in cash games and stuff, someone has a big win like that, they're instantly putting all that money back into circulation. When you have wins this big, a lot of times you're not putting them back in the yeah. circulation unless it's a regular, you know, or right. a backer, right. which will happen a lot in this type of field. Yeah, and then sure. the risk of ruin, like people, you know, you're accelerating the possibility that someone has a downswing, which can, you know, busto people with with so many tournaments happening at, at right. one time. And I mean, it's a double-edged sword, you know. It's like if you're the best player, you get to put in the most volume, you know. Yeah. If you're not... You're gonna get beat quicker, you know. Right, but who, what? How many poker players truly understand their skill level, right? So, like, you're gonna have too many people playing in over well, their heads. I still think I'm bad at poker a lot of times. Like, <laughs> I'll make mistakes. And I'll be like, "Oh, you're terrible." Like, that's what my mind says. I, I know that's not true. Yeah, right. I, I think yeah, assessing your own talent, your own skill—that's real tough. You know, yeah, yeah. got to be as realistic and as humble as possible. I think. Yeah. Agreed. The game is stronger than you are. <laughs> Respect the game. Uh, all right, let's uh, let's move on to this next hand here. Uh, this is another one from our forums, and uh, again, we will link to this um, in the podcast description so you guys can find that hand. Um, but it's by uh, user Smallcat66. And this is from PokerStars, although it doesn't say what the buy-in or anything like that is. It's a free roll, man. <laughs> yeah, and it's a free roll to throw all our advice out the window. <laughs> no, it's, it's real money. <laughs> um, so we're at 300, 600. He says um, that he's been cruising along nicely with an above-average stack, and there's 300 players left with 216 paid. So I guess... Probably started with something like 2,000 runners. Okay, throw that fact out the window. Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. I like it. should not be in a description of a hand history. <laughs> okay? 300 players, good point. 16 left. That's irrelevant. Yeah. Okay? Someday, we, someday we should have a discussion about everything that you should put in a hand history when you're asking for advice. Yeah. yeah. Wow. Well, what? yeah, you should put as much information that's relevant. You yeah. Know? Yeah. Good point. Um, and he says that the villain seemed competent, um, and in this hand, the villain opens under the gun. So he says he puts him on a good hand when he raises under the gun, which I don't think is necessarily something you should automatically do, because many competent players open under the gun without good hands. Yeah, I mean... Um, or at, at least without monsters. Maybe that's a better way to put it. 
Um, so anyway, uh, we're at 300, 600. Uh, like I said, villain opens under the gun with uh, he min raises. So he's got 19,000 in chips. Yeah, thirty yeah. some big blinds, right? Yep. Yep, and hero has thirty, almost thirty-two thousand. So a pretty healthy stack at this point. Um, so yeah, so under the gun guy makes it twelve sixty-six, essentially a min raise. Uh, folds to our hero, who I guess is on the button. This hand history is hard to read, but I believe he's on the button, maybe. Uh, player eight is the big blind. Oh, he's, he's player oh, he's seven. In the, he's in the small blind. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yep. Yep. The small blind. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. So in the small <laughs> blind with aces, the ace of diamonds and the ace of spades, and he makes it twenty one hundred. I hate I this race this. size. You do? I love this. I no, hate it. I mean, I mean both the speeches. Okay. Like you have aces and you see the min race. You know, it's like oh, okay. <laughs> It's such a yeah, small raise. I, I don't like it. I mean, yeah. when are you ever going to do this? You're only going to do this with really good hands where you want them to call. Like, it's just really obvious, you know? Right. And he, right. now he's got to play out of position uh, this yeah, hand. And, so the, and well, also, yeah, you are you barely, I mean, you don't know anything about his range either now because right. he's going to fall 100% of his range. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think that was, and, and he asked, and I think he kind of knows because he says, well, was it a mistake to raise as small as I did and play the pot out of position? So yeah. I think he probably realizes. Honestly, now. like with, with stacks like this, like 30 bigs, sometimes I'll just call with like hands this big too. Like uh, he's in the small blind. I don't know. I don't, I would only call in situations where I would call like set mining, but mm-hmm. with 30 bigs, like against bad players, it's sometimes just better just to call and then you know hopefully they hit top pair and lose all their money you know or yeah. you can just check call check call check call if it's an aggressive player by just calling pre and being passive and just letting them you know bluff off a lot a lot of times you get more value in people bluffing than you would if you re-raise them especially short like this because people mm-hmm. get more committed once they flop like one pair you know right. they're so short yeah and your hand does look like a monster. Like he's gonna fold a lot of hands, even on, yeah, but you know, fairly big hands under the gun. I mean, Although I guess he's gonna. I mean, oh, that'll be yeah. interesting note because I do remember this hand and going forward, you know, that now we, you know, think um, that this guy knows that we have a strong hand, which we don't even know that. But that's kind of cool right. that we're inferring that. Now that I look yeah. through the whole hand, but yeah, you can go through it. Cool. So. Um, under the gun obviously calls, getting a very nice price to do so. Uh, and the flop is three of diamonds, eight of clubs, two of diamonds. Um, yeah, three, eight, deuce, two diamonds. Uh, we're first act. He bets 3,000. Okay, hold on. We've got to go back for a second because it says he raised a 1266, and then it says he raised a 2100, and then player nine calls 1100. So it looks like his raise might have actually been to something bigger, like 2,400. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, it was. It's to 2,400 because he's already got 300 in. Oh, oh okay. So he basically uh. he basically 2X'd it, just like 1.9X. Yeah. So it's not like as bad as we thought, but it's... It's not crazy small. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's almost okay, I guess. Yeah. Still a little small, I think, though. Yeah. 
Yeah. It depends on what – see, I always say it depends on what the rest of the time you're re-raising is. Yeah. Whatever you're re-raising the rest of the time, it's the time you need to do it this time. Yeah. You know, yeah. mm-hmm. There's certain patterns you need to develop that is part of your image, you know, and you just got to stick to that even when you have strong hands, you know. Right. Right. Yeah, I think some people see aces and they're just like, "Oh my god, I don't want anybody to, f- I don't want the guy to fold." Yeah. And they panic, you know, sure. and they panic themselves into tough situations. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, uh, yeah. So again, three eight deuce, two diamonds. Hero bets three thousand, and villain calls. So now I guess we have what, like twenty six plus forty eight. Yeah. So a little over ten k in the pot now. Going to the turn. Um. Yeah. So the turn is forty eight hundred, right? Oh, there's Annie's. Oh, we got a, yeah. Not many though. So the Annie's seven. It's fifty four hundred so. in the pot. So he bets three thousand into fifty four hundred, right? Yep. On an eight of club, three diamond, two diamond board. Yeah. Um, I mean that's so a yeah, standard so the, bet, you know. Like, yeah, seems right. Yeah, so far well played. Uh, and then the other guy calls the three thousand. Yes. And so then we got, the turn is the Queen of Clubs. Yep. And now the hero checks, which I find somewhat puzzling, but I don't know, maybe it's not that bad. What do you think? I kind of like the check here. Uh, yeah. Honestly, yeah, because what happens is people will bluff more, and people will always, most of the time, will value bet hands that, um, like, eight, the eight here, they might value bet. Anything like nines or higher, they would still probably value bet. So you could let them. I like a lot of times checking to someone if their call range is really tight compared to their bet for value and bluff range. You got what I'm saying? If you incorporate uh-huh. their bet for value and bluff range, it could look bigger than your bet for value getting called range. So if you can do that, then sometimes that's the better play. You know? Oh, that's kind of interesting. Yeah. So when we check, so if, if we decide to check the turn in this, like we do in this hand, and uh, villain bets, which he does, are we going for a raise here, or does that just look way too strong? Um, well, let's see. It depends on like if he. Let's see how much of this stack he has left. Basically, it's real tough with this hand history, but I would always base stuff like that on their stack. So like, here's the. Like on the turn, I would have already thought, okay, if I check to him and he bets this amount on the turn and this amount on the river, would he bet all in on the river? Would there be enough right. money in the pot to do that? That's right. when I would be an advocate for checking and letting him do his thing because uh, it's just I think that's going to be better for you in the long run. Whereas if, let's say he has a lot more than what's in the pot, then a lot of times I'd probably just bet, like if I couldn't get his whole stack by him bluffing or setting right. it up with the bets. So it really depends on that. And it looks like he lost 2,400, so he has uh, 17,4. After the 3,000, now that's 14,4. So 14,4. And what is in the pot? We said 5,400 plus now 6 is 11,4. Yeah. yeah, so he, so yeah. This is the spot, you know, because if he bets anything on the turn, then basically his river bet's committing himself all in. You mm-hmm. know what I'm saying? And the way the hero played this is that uh, he did just check call, right? Yes, he correct. He called 4,200, 
And so yeah. basically he did exactly what I just said. He set him up so that this guy has to bet all in on the river no matter what. Okay, yeah. so at this point, in my mind, the way he played it, hand's basically dead. I don't care what comes on the river. I'm going to play it like that, and I'm going to check call. Even though mm. we're going to see that eight of diamonds comes on the river, so it basically completes trips, but it also completes the flush draw. Um, but I think with the stack sizing and the stack bet, uh, that he's basically committed to do that anyway, and that he could be bluffing a large percentage of the time. Right. Yeah. So, so you're saying when you just call the turn and with 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 the plan of check calling the river, you have to check call no matter what happens. Like just because it's a scary card. Well, unless you know. unless you can literally say the only time he's going to bet the turn is with a flush draw or with a right. If you right. can pinpoint his range to that tight, like if you've played with him that long, that you know he's only going to semi bluff with the diamond draw and. Um, He's not gonna. He's gonna bet the eight for value, because mm. the river all it's doing is making a flush draw, or hitting the eight for value. Right. You get what I'm saying. The rest of his range that you could consider value on the turn, uh, like a pair over eights or the queen. Yeah. Um. <clears throat> yeah. So so basically, yeah. If I'm gonna play it that way, I'm probably committed to calling the river no matter what. And and how often do you think he's <clears throat> he's he's betting this river? Do you think it's? I mean, nothing is a hundred percent of the time, but uh, you know how how can you account for him chickening out and not bluffing? Um, of so, course, but but you I guess you wouldn't get any value from betting there anyway, so you got to kind of check to give him the chance to bluff at it. Right, and right? think about it like if someone is is bluffing, that's a card they're going to bluff for sure. You know? Right, right. The diamond for sure. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Good point. Good point. That I that mean, opens up his his completed flushes and his. Yeah, I think a lot bluffs. of people forget this. To me, when I see a board, when I'm playing against a good player, and a draw comes, sometimes that's more valuable for me. Yeah. You know, because he's going to bluff to represent it. So yeah, I, I think uh, a large percentage of the time I'm going to see stuff. Right. As bluffing, whereas some people are going to see it as scary. Right. You know? And if and if he's got a queen here. He's not going to – I mean, I don't think – I mean, he could think, have queen-queen, you know? Right, queen-queen, but, but if he has queen-king, right? Or, yeah, I mean – Do you I think, think he bets that, that he, or he just, he just checks yeah, that behind? I think so too. I mean, I think that if he gets checked two on the river, he's thinking, well, this person doesn't have an eight and doesn't have a diamond probably. I don't know. I mean, right. just the way the hand started from the beginning, right. it just leaves you guessing. So I, I feel like I'm going to call because – the way you've played it is you've underrepped your hand so much that you can't really fold, you know? Right, right. In my opinion. Yep. Okay. Yeah. It, I like, think if, if I was the villain, it's really aggressive. And, well, I mean, with the stack sizes here, I just feel like, you know, it's probably destined that if he sucks out on you, you're going to get it in. But I was going to say, like, maybe even if you were deeper and you had played it aggressively, like, let's say you made it two and a half X pre flop or whatever. And the guy called, and then you bet, and then he like called, and then raised you on your turn bet or something. You would have a mm -hmm. lot more information about his range, and so that just takes you back to the point of making decisions as simple as possible by keeping your entire raise range, the range of whatever you're going to re-raise, yeah. all yeah, up the same basically. Yeah. What I was going to ask you is, how do you think this hand would have played differently if he raised bigger? 
like the stack to pot ratio would that have been significantly different well i think that the whole hand the way it's played is actually the turn that um dictates the hand you know Mm -hmm. uh basically it looks to me like if i was the other guy player nine and i called his flop bet and the guy checks to me on the turn he's telling me that he doesn't have a pair above an eight and he doesn't have a queen actually he could have like nine ten jack the hero um but most of the time it just looks to me like he re-raised me with ace king and now he's just giving up Mm -hmm. you know yeah, and, and his hand looks say. really weak. Like if I'm in player nine shoes, unless uh, you dictate his. I mean, it's really weird. This whole hand has so many different mixed signals. Because at the beginning, the hero says with his raise range, basically, I have a really strong hand because I raise you just below minimum. And then you know he bets on the flop like I have it. And then on the turn, he says, "Whoa, I don't have anything." You know? <laughs> right. And so that's yeah. what I see in the hand history. And so if, if you're if you're showing, hey, I don't have anything, then to me, if you have aces, you have to call their turn in river bets. Right. Yeah, it makes sense to me. He he does ask in in the post if he if anybody thinks he should have shoved all in pre, no. but that just seems that seems pretty yeah, bad fair. to me. Oh yeah, it's really it's, bad. Yeah, it's yeah, the worst yeah thing just raised. But I think that the guy probably just has queens full here. I don't know yeah. what else <laughs> he would. Uh, I don't know. Does this guy say what happened? He does. Oh, what's the deal? What do you have? We have the answer. So, yeah, it, just to, in case we didn't clearly state how that hand ended, um, <laughs> the hero the hero checked and and player nine bet ten k, and hero's asking what he should do. I'm assuming he calls because we find out that villain had three three, so he flopped a set. Yeah, t- turned about. Um. Yeah. I, I, yeah. I mean, nutter butters. You're gonna run into them, you know. So yeah. and and the whole hand, I guess, is irrelevant. Uh, with threes, if you make it two and a half x, maybe. I mean, there are a lot of people that have thirty bigs that are gonna raise and call for set mining, but um, it might squeeze out hands that got him here. But also, I don't know. Just the way he played it, I feel like he's still. Called. I mean, you're gonna run into good hands, you know. Yeah, yeah, it happens. And, and you're gonna have this happen. Yeah, just and this is actually one of those weird case or yeah, rare cases where a hand that could almost be looked as just sort of a bad beat post actually is a pretty interesting hand. <laughs> like you know, some people would post a hand similar to this on two plus two or something, and it would be like uh, veiled bad beat post, but. I actually thought this one was pretty interesting. Well, it's really interesting if you consider all the different dynamics that played out pre-flop, on the flop, on the turn, and then on the river. Mm-hmm. Yep. You know, yeah. and, and I mean, this is what happens when you know you take these passive trappy lines. Is that you know sometimes you trap yourself. Yeah. And yeah. I don't think you should beat yourself up though. I think that this guy actually played it well. So. Cool. Cool. Right on. All right, I think we've probably got time for one more. I think, Diego, you wanted to, to bring up a hand from the series. Yeah, right? there's an interesting hand in part four, um, which is uh, coming out, what's today? Thursday. It'll be out on Monday. Um, so a little bit of sneak peek for the uh, people who are members of the site. Um, this is a hand from the 1K multi-entry that your video is up right now. Um, you, you're at 1,700, 3,400. Uh, is the blind levels. Um, you're eight-handed, 
Um, you are in the big blind with Ace-4 off. And uh, it's uh, the under the gun and under the gun one fold. Under the gun plus two is Kyle Julius, who um, many people probably know from he's had a lot of live success recently. I think did, did, didn't he make the he made the final table of the PCA of the year after you, right? He made Correct. it last year, right? So yeah. he's had a lot of success live. He's been an, uh, a major online force for a while, um, as we talked about earlier with all the, uh, the force. <laughs> force. That's your new nickname, Kyle. <laughs> the force. You're an online force. <laughs> Heard it here first. Um, so he he makes it seventy one fifty um, at seventeen thirty four. Makes it seventy one fifty from under the gun plus two. It folds to you in the big with ace four off, and you just call. Um, so yeah, I'm know. just calling just because yeah. Kyle's an aggressive player. Yeah, uh, and if I hit an ace, I'm pretty sure he's gonna rep it on the flop and turn at least, maybe right. even take it three streets. Right. So oh, you know what? Let me give stack sizes too before we, we go any further. So you have about 200K, um, so you're pretty deep, and he has about 167, so you're both pretty deep here. Um, yeah. You guys are the uh, number two and number three in terms of chips at the table too. So, um, How many players are left? <laughs> <laughs> that, you know, that's the thing. It, you can't tell on these hand histories, right? Although yeah, we, yeah. Are, we are playing eight Irrelevant, hands. irrelevant. <laughs> You are playing eight-handed, though, so you're probably in the money at this point, right? I think. Yeah, maybe. Yeah. Okay. So, uh, so, so uh, you just you you call. Um, I, I think for the reasons you said makes sense. Um, the flop comes king four eight, and it's king of diamonds eight of diamonds, and you have the ace of diamonds. Um, so, what are you thinking here? You're first to act. Um, what do you, what are you thinking here at this point? What are you, what's your plan for the flop? Uh, my plan's to check to him and expect him to bet, and probably gonna float him. Yep. Um, I'm gonna float him for a couple reasons. Mainly, uh, I feel like I probably have the best hand. Uh, two, I have backdoor diamond draw, which kind of makes my hand a little stronger if I'm wrong. And uh, king high flops, I think that he'll probably two barrel a lot of times, maybe three barrel, just like we talked about ace high hands. Right. Mm-hmm. You almost always have to. If you're going to call the, the 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 flop here, which I you know you're obviously with the the the, the pair against his range makes a lot of sense to me. You're almost always going to have to call the turn. You always have to basically against a guy like this. He's well, like, yeah, it, I mean it depends on what the turn is. If the turn's any Broadway, you're probably quickly folding because okay. now uh, that actually hits him plus could make him some good hands. Um, also, if the turn, uh, yeah, I guess that, those are about the only turns I would fold. Okay. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Okay, so it's the 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 pot is 19k and he makes it about 7k, I think. He makes it 69.50, yeah, so he makes it 7k. And you call like you uh, like you predicted, predicted you would. And the turn is a 3 of hearts, so a complete miss um no other hearts on the board. Um your your play again. Um and I assume you're just going to check here to him and let him bluff this turn, right? Correct. And and I mean, I say that, like, rationally now, but, you know, like, if you look at the hand, it's like he has bottom pair. Um, so, obviously, there probably was some table dynamics uh, previously, too, or just our past play around that time period that's also dictating right. to me, you know, that uh, this guy could represent a lot of hands is definitely going to two-barrel a lot, 
uh, is an aggressive player, etc. Yeah. Uh, because basically, if you look at his raise range, it's like all pairs. It's all pairs, and I mean, his value raise range that I'm afraid of right now is right. all pairs, and it's like he's going to raise ace-10, he's going to raise every suited ace. He's probably going to raise a lot of um, you know, suited connectors, like 5-6, six, 7-6, six, gutters. Uh, if he has the 8, he's probably not going to bet the flop in the turn, so you can kind of take that out of his range. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's really like he either has the king or he has the king beat. That's what he's saying, you know. Right. Uh, there's some real good players that could also value bet nines through queens here. I think Kyle's one of those players. But I think that making his range that tight kind of shows that he, he's probably going to be bluffing. Yep. Yeah. Okay. Uh, yep. With the board texture and stuff, just because almost everything misses, you know? Yeah. And the king high flop is scary if you have an under pair. Right, right. So, so uh, yeah, so he, um, you check, like you said you would, and he bets 14,550 14, into 33, and you call as you expected you would. And uh, and the, let's see what happens here on the river. It's a seven of clubs. And so I'm assuming here you're, you're given what, you know, to complete your equity for the way you played the flop and the turn, given what you think his range may be, pretty much have to call um well i guess depending like are you ever folding here on the river now if he bets well now it might be different yeah now i actually might fold because uh a his gutter balls could now have hit and he also could have made a a bigger pair that he's bluffing with than Mm me uh depending on just the board texture also the five six could continue Mm -hmm. on the river i think basically i'm not sure what i would have done on the river because I think that I would have called every nine, nine and lower, every eight and lower card. I think I would have called mm-hmm. and probably folded. Uh, I'm, I probably would call the nines too, but every ten and higher, I'd probably just fold. Although, mm-hmm. right, because I'll hit those enough. The, the yeah. bottom is range that he's bluffing. Yeah. Yeah, and so yeah. there's 61 in the pot. He has 147,000 left. So basically, any bet he makes is taking a huge percentage of his chunk now, so it's going to require a lot of heart, as opposed to the previous ones where it wasn't, I mean, he's left with like probably 135 to 147,000 now. I can't see the pot actually in front of me. Yeah, it's 61 approximately in the middle, so if he's going to bet even like, you know, two-fifths pot, like 25,000, anything substantial is going to be, you know, pretty hefty. Yeah. Well, so, uh, so I might give him more credit, you know. Right. Well, he um he does check and he has 105 uh of uh spades um to, you know, to be air basically. Um so you were pretty much dead on there um with the way you you read uh, the hand and there. Also, in in situations like this, there's a lot of times where I'll add uh information equity to my uh you know, mindset like, well, you know, let's say I am wrong. Mm-hmm. Um, at least I'll get more information. Right. I'll, I'll I'll know more about you know what his range really is. You know. Uh, and on the river, I would probably just give him credit for a king and actually fold just because it's so easy to value bet all the way through. Mm-hmm. What do you think he's putting you on here? That eight seven's probably bad. Yeah, well, he's probably just putting me on an eight and yeah. being stubborn, knowing that I'm a calling machine. 
Right. You know, he's probably like, oh, Sowers. God never folds. <laughs> yeah, because he, he doesn't take a stab at the at the river. And, I, I you know, given that and there's a lot of. Yeah. And there's a lot of times where in my mind, in my game plan, I'm not going to tell people this, but I'm going to call a flop and turn and not call a river, you know. Right. And I think that that's a, a real fine line as a individual you got to make is, you know, where are people going to take those risks? I don't know, a lot of people won't take those risks on the river, you know, and in right. and, and, and situations, you know, based on the pot size, based on their stack size, I think it's a little more predictable, you know, like let's say he has 60,000 left. I'm definitely probably not even going to call the flop because it's so easy for him to go bet, bet, bet and end up with a pot size bet on the river, which inclines a lot more people to just go all in right. uh, for whatever reason because it's basically a big bet it, it represents strength and you have a, bot, a pot left so it's worth the gamble to kind of double your stack i mean i think that's the mentality but i'm not sure that's interesting hmm. and, and and i'm i'm interested in in how he um you know given that his hand has no no showdown value here um he, yeah he should have went for it right that's what i'm thinking like he, he's the force <laughs> he should yeah. use the force and went for it. He's a force, but he he ran into the calling machine. Yeah, he so. just said, he yeah. just said, Mike's gonna call me with an eight, a two, pair of twos. Yeah. Um, or and also though, like even in his sense, you get some checkdown uh, information if you decide to that it's a bad spot to try to three barrel mm-hmm. uh, a guy who is gonna call you down. You know. And he probably yeah. just thought, well, I guess he really has a king or an eight. Yeah, he must have just said, yep. Yeah, I mean, basically decides, does he have a king or an eight? Because if he has an eight, I can get him to fold maybe. Right, you know? right. But that'd be hard too, I guess, Yeah. your history. Knows. Yep. Cool. Yeah, I, I bet when, when he checked and he saw you at ace four, he was like, yes, I knew he would have called. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> cool. That's cool. Um, well, cool. Thanks, uh, thanks for going over a few hands with us. Before we before we let you go, what's uh, what's your plans for the World Series this summer? Uh, so far, I'm still exploring a lot of different options. Uh, yeah. I'm looking at some different backing options or just selling all my action. Um, but I'm definitely going to be there. I've already got my I've already got it planned out. I'm going to play like 30 events. I'm going to come back to California for like nine days in between. Um, and the more experience I have, like over the years lets me know that like that's a really good decision yeah. kind of get out of Vegas recharge and then get yeah. back uh just because when I'm there I'm all business so I'm playing uh all day every day I'm basically building my ideal plan I hope to improve on last year I got a second place uh, I've got four final tables in five years and so I'm still looking for you know some different opportunities so if anyone actually Uh, would like to invest or, you know, discuss some different parameters, I'm going to figure that out uh, at least by, like, next Tuesday or Wednesday, come to a decision. It's kind of like you were talking about earlier, Diego, is that, uh, you know, you have so many different ways of looking at something, and I'm just trying to explore all my options and figure out the best one for me this year. Right. Makes sense. Cool. Well, definitely good luck. Email me, you know, the UNCC at Yahoo. Uh, if they're interested in any of that, and otherwise, I'll probably be, you know, posting some selling Excel sheets, uh, just selling out the percentages. I'll offer it to all my uh, close friends. Uh, usually, that'll probably sell. That's what I've done in the past, 
And then if not, then I go public and offer it to the public, basically. But I just like right. doing it with the, the least possible people to make it yeah. easy. Yeah, you have to pay out 34 people, right? If you, but my plan is four um, caches and – no, four final tables and one win. That's that's my goals right now. <laughs> nice, I like so, it. <laughs> I've never had more than one final table in a year, but. And and are you um? Do you do you get a house with people or do you stay at the Rio? What do you? Yeah, do? yeah, I stay uh, literally with this girl, D Dozier. Uh, she's oh. pretty much like my sister. Uh, she, she's so cool. She's just really grounded. It's a quiet place. She has her dog, which I love, and I'm kind of off the strip, so I just get my own thing like i have this routine where i just go to the local park do yoga eat breakfast uh you know whether it's work out play basketball with friends in the morning do something active and then just meditate every break and basically diet it's crazy how much planning i do it's uh <laughs> it's really detailed so like you know Smart though. More people should probably do that, including me. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> I'm gonna have to take. I'm gonna have to take a tip from you. There's a fine line. You can you can over. You know you don't want to overanalyze something. Some things are simple. Yep. Right. Yeah. Put I, yourself in that place. D Dozier is uh, she's she, she follow her on Twitter. She's she's actually pretty funny and and she's fun to follow on Twitter. Uh, no limit Dozier. Uh, so I'm familiar with her. Yeah. She's pretty Double cool. These. Yeah. <laughs> Very nice. <laughs> And speaking of Twitter, uh, everybody out there listening can follow you on Twitter at uh, sour at sours s. I guess it is s o w e r s s. So, yeah, yeah got to uh, the end. And uh, and yeah, and we'll be out in Vegas all summer as well. So hopefully, we, maybe we can track you down at some point. For and, sure, uh, let's do a live do a podcast, update. man. Yeah, we actually do yeah, TPE live. We do TPE live where we uh, after after the day is done, we get together and we talk through hand. So we'll try to connect with you there and do that. Nice. Yeah, we'll definitely yep. do that if I have an early disappointing day. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, you, you'll you'll be so happy to see us after a bust out at. Or if I win, because this yeah. year I planned if I win, I'm going to take a day off the next day. So that's perfect. Taking days off in Vegas is really tough. Yeah. But some, you got to do it. Do you, yeah, do you ever play uh, any Venetians, or do you just stick to the? Yeah, I've played. Uh, last year I played the both the five Ks, um, and I play maybe like one or two 2500s this year i think i'm just going to focus on the series uh just because i'll be also coming back to california for some like coaching things mm -hmm. so i'm kind of splitting my time a little bit but yeah. when i'm there i'm going to be totally focused and ready to go cool awesome well we're looking forward to it and like i said we'll definitely track you down and uh and we'll chat some more cool guys appreciate thanks. the opportunity thanks for having me on yeah thanks for Absolutely. coming on appreciate the time mike all right cool cool all care. right we're going to take a quick break, and uh, we'll come back here and wrap things up on the Tournament Poker Edge podcast. We've been on the run, driving in the sun, looking out for number one. California, here we come, right back where we started from. Well, hustles grab you, to shadow weighs a ton, driving down the 101. California, here we come. Right back where we started from California. California. On the stereo, listen as we go. Nothing's gonna stop me now. California, here we come. 
Welcome back to the Tournament Poker Edge Podcast. I want to say thanks to Mike Sowers for stopping in. Uh, we went on forever. It's fun talking poker with a guy like that. Yeah, very, very smart guy. Um, I almost feel like a hand history with him. Y- you can't do it in a, a, a f- like, like there were a lot more questions I had, actually. Um, and, right. and I feel like there was a lot deeper thought than even just, you know, do this or don't do that. Like, it could have gone in many different directions, much deeper into those uh into those, um, each of the, his re- recommendations, because they were very deep in, in, in theory, I think. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm pretty excited to see some of his future videos, because, I mean, obviously the ones he's put out so far are really cool, but it'll be fun to see when he starts delving into playing, you know, yeah. if he does a live series, or, you know, just to see him kind of dig in even more. You know, I might even do some theory vids well, or something. Everyone, everyone gets better over time in video producing, too. Yeah, that's for sure. Like, no matter how good you are, where you start, you always your second, third, fourth are are you know substantially better than your first one because you yeah. you just get used to it. It's a skill talking out loud about yourself and what you're thinking, you know, right. and, and talking that way. So it's definitely um, definitely you know looking forward to where his uh, video making career takes him. Yeah, he's not, you know not only a super smart poker player, but I love his like, spirit. Yeah, like, he's just happy. Yep. Like he's happy to be doing what he's doing. You know, and it, it's different than what he's doing before Black Friday. But he, you can tell he's just like stoked about you it. You know what I think? And I, he's found balance. Yeah, you I know think. what I, th- I think? He's a balanced guy, and I think he exemplifies the term "attacks life." You know, I think he just yeah he just gets up in the morning and he just you know does gets done. You know, he looks he figures out what he's going to do and he goes and does it. You know. That's, yeah, you can you can tell by his like World Series routine. It's like get up, eat breakfast, work out, do yoga. I'm like, man, I'm lucky if I get up. <laughs> the getting up part is hard for me. But the, actually making it to the tournament's difficult for me. Yeah, that's funny. <laughs> but you know, he's he's already done like a marathon by the time he gets to the Rio. Yeah, what'd you think of? Um, there was some interesting stuff. Um, uh, you know, in terms of how he's talking about the learning. You know. Yeah. Yeah, that that is an interesting thing, and I think it's uh, it's somewhat highlighted. I think by the way people digest our videos, like people learn different ways, and it's really difficult to put together, I guess, a coaching curriculum or a training curriculum f- for a mass group of people because not everybody learns the same way. Yeah. yeah. Well, and one thing about his video that I think people like and and I like is that he just lets the he lets the thing play. Like, yeah, and he just kind of talks about it like he's almost commentating on it. He'll stop it when appropriate, but he's commentating on the whole thing, you know. Right. It's like just an interesting way to watch a tournament, you know. And I guess that's what he does when he's uh, when he's when he's doing his own hand history reviews. Right. Yeah, I can remember watching. I don't, I don't know that a lot of our players. I guess some probably do, but I remember watching when I first started watching training videos a long time ago. They would just skip to the green hands on the replayer, yeah. you know, on the universal replayer, like. 
or, or the or the dark red one, you know, either dark red or dark green. I'm like, well, I want to know what happened in that like kind of lightish green yeah, way yeah, back yeah. there that you skipped over. <laughs> so yeah, it is cool to just see every single. Well, especially when there's interesting people at the table, like yeah. you get to see what other people are doing too. I mean, there's always somebody known at his table. Yeah. In that in that F tops, it seemed like you know there's always some superstar. So it was pretty cool to watch. Yep. yep. Cool. Well, good talks. Right on. Absolutely. So let's uh, speaking of videos and TPE and all that good stuff. Uh, let's talk a little bit about what we got going on and what's coming up. Yeah, um, yeah. It's been quite uh, the 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 run of videos. Uh, we got Mike's video right now, um, and I will say that Mr. Mark Alioto is uh, is in his all his glory right now. His, <laughs> I mean, he's got to be like. The response to this series has been fantastic. So Mark Alioto, uh, you know, you, you most of you know Amazian All In. Um, he's made a lot of videos for us in the past. Um, he's he's been you know uh, he's done videos with with with, uh, with Big Dog where they've been commentating together on 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 a Big Dog hand history review, and uh, and he makes no no uh, you know he doesn't hide the fact that he he's he's transitioning from S and G's where he's where he's a he's he's a, you know. I don't know. Just, he, he's just a, a virtuoso at, at SNGs um, right. and Don's. He's you know he's got a fantastic poker mind, um, but he was relatively new to MTTs you know two years ago, and he made that transition. And now his his video, um, the one that's running right now, is getting ri- ridiculous reviews. It's getting such great great. What did you think? I know you you you're a big fan of it. I loved it, and it's funny. Like I actually found myself. I need to go back and watch it because I was not paying so much attention to the hands as I was the, the like, the poetic way that he uses his HUD. <laughs> like it's the weirdest thing. Like he, I mean, first of all, you know, I have I don't know eight numbers on my on each of my, uh, you know, on my on each player in my HUD. He has like eighty, wow. and he knows what everyone it is. And he and there's just times where he's just like, you know, where a certain situation happens, and he's like, you got to get a HUD. This is why you need a HUD. And he's using all these stats that I'm not using, and he is using stats in situations where I need to be using them and I'm not. Um, so I, yeah, I found like his. I even tweeted something about how he his you know his HUD work is boss or something. <laughs> I, I've just never, and I don't think he's, you know, I don't think he's like a hold a manager expert or whatever. I think that he set up his HUD with all you know with tons of numbers, and he's just really, really good at applying those numbers and using them in like the ex- you know the exact right situations and stuff. Uh, you know, I-, I know that I've spent like an hour on the phone trying to figure out how to like set up <laughs> hold a manager right. at one point. So you know, don't call him just because you can't figure out how to set up your hem. <laughs> but if you want to know how to use like you know folds to three bet, then he can help you with that for sure, and this video <laughs> exemplifies that pretty well. It's amazing to watch. Nice, yeah. I'm gonna, I I uh, I watch bits and pieces of it as I'm editing it, but I'm gonna I'm gonna give it a, a run before I, uh, you know, we talked earlier about the prep for the WSLP, and I'm watching a bunch of videos. I'm gonna, I'm gonna give those a. Uh, it's a it, it's it's a short one. It's a three parter because it's uh it's a hand history review. Those usually are shorter than live sweats, um, mm-hmm. you know, especially ones that don't have super deep um, uh, fields, um, but uh. Yeah, I'm definitely going to watch that one. It, great reviews. Really happy for him. Um, he's coming a long way as a, as a player and a, and a video producer. Yeah, and if nothing else, it's well, a it's entertaining. It's also cool because he, you know, because he's been making this transition to MTTs, he's kind of he's kind of been one of us, meaning me and you. Yeah. Like 
like he he digests every video, he tries to learn from every pro, and he talks about different things that he's learned from different TPE pros. Yeah. So that, you know, in a particular hand, he might do something, and he says, "Oh, you know, I learned that from a Daryl Jace video." Yeah. Um, or there was one stat which I actually I think it was like defend you know the per- percentage of the time they defend their big blind or something, and he goes, "I never used to have that number in my HUD." Uh, but I got it from Riverman. Right. Like Riverman, Riverman loved that stat, so I added it to my HUD. Yeah. Um, so he talks a lot about that. It's kind of cool because it gives you an idea of maybe some things that you can go back and watch other videos and learn about, um, you know, specific things from specific video makers. Yeah. So I really recommend yeah, it. Yeah, speaking of Riverman, he just finished a series, a high, high Roller Live Sweat. Um, Andrew Brokos is in the – he's in the midst of a multi-series series. Um, he's doing a super detailed analysis of a WCOOP deep run. Um, we broke it into three different series. It's early stages, which is itself five parts. Um, <laughs> then mid stages and late stages, and so those will be coming out soon too. Um, so a lot of quality videos, and of course, uh, it's uh, w- before those were Big Dog's first uh, Sunday Million back to back hand history review, um, yeah. and uh, the the next one of those will be coming soon too. So um, lots of good, lots of good, good videos out there. Lots of good forum activity. Uh, yeah, forums have been happening. One thing I did want to mention, speaking of the forums, um, we're we're trying to put together a little uh, a little TP meetup for pros and members to just hang out, really informal, but just maybe hang out, have some drinks, maybe eat some food, and uh, and converse and talk and meet some people face to face. So we're shooting for June seventh, but the reason I bring it up is because I posted some information about it in the forums and I'm looking for some feedback from members. So if you haven't already checked it out, head over to the I think it's called the TPE at the WSOP forum uh, in our forums and uh, and read that thread and give us some feedback let us know if you're gonna be out there we'd love to hang out absolutely love to see you guys i won't be there for that unfortunately guys guys purposely said it for when i can't be there right you drink too much (laughs) the the bar bill gets too big at the party tpe goes broke (laughs) (laughs) too funny well cool this is uh this is one of the longest podcasts we've ever done oh my god i think we should yeah we should Probably wrap it up, I guess. But I definitely, uh, like I said, I want to thank Mike for coming in. And we and we will definitely try to get him in on, a, on an episode of TPE Live uh, this summer because it's he. I just think he'll be a fascinating guy to talk not only about hands but also just like his experiences over the summer at the World Series. So yep. uh, it'll be cool to get him on. So we'll make sure and do that. So thanks again to him. Thanks to everybody out there for listening, and we'll see you guys all next time on the Tournament Poker Edge podcast. And thanks to you for being here.
little kid.